Hey everyone, and welcome back to The Pod and the Pendulum, the podcast that covers every horror movie franchise, one movie in one episode at a time. I am your host, Mike Slunian, joined once again by my co-host, Lindsay Travis. Lindsay, how are the dogs doing first? They're good. I love your dogs. They are good. They've got their parents back. Mm-hmm. I don't know. People say parents. Uh, their parents back, so they are good. And Spock is here. Quiet they, so far. Are they your dogs or are they your parents' dogs? Spock is my dog. The other two are my parents' dogs. Does Spock like abandon you when he goes to your parents' house though? Is he kind of like, all right, mama, you're done? No, luckily. And my parents know that I have zero does happen. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're going home. <laughs> the zero tolerance him bonding to my parents policy uh-huh. so if that does happen we will be going back home like we'll if, brave code so like do you if 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 spock like goes to cuddle on your dad's lap do you spray spock and your dad with a water bottle no i'm not a psycho i no, i am uh no that's fine but if it's like bedtime and he like goes towards their room it's like mm-hmm. oh we're we're heading like, home. Pack your bags. We're out of here. We're heading out yeah. of here. Excellent. All right. Yeah. How are you doing tonight? I'm good. Excellent. I'm good. I just finished watching Wonder Woman, guys, and my spicy hot takes will be available for you soon. Is it good? Is it worth it? Should it be our Christmas movie on Christmas Day? I think so. I think so. I don't know. That's not quite the. Rousing. I don't know. It's like it's just finished. I think it's like, uh, <laughs> I'm like, when does this come out? Um, it uh, it depends. I mean, it's a superhero movie. It's like all my notes are negative, but I had the best time watching it, which I feel like is like every superhero movie of the past 20 okay. years. So this movie is terrible and I cannot wait for the next one. Excellent. All yeah, right. I'm like, ugh, dumb, cheesy, cliche, mm-hmm. boring. I loved yep. it. But let's <laughs> yeah. let's have a big welcome for the first time on the main pod. Uh, she joined us for our House on Haunted Hill Patreon episode. Uh, we have the co-host of the This Ends at Prom podcast a show that dissects coming of age teen movies through the feminist queer and trans lenses as well as a contributor to what to watch let's hope let's welcome bj colangelo hi stoked to be on the main show and not i know in just you know patreon purgatory <laughs> our patrons are fine people though they yeah really... they're wonderful they were like all up in my dms like so tell me more about hassan Hunted hill and i was like i will talk about that movie all day every day 
Wait, our guys were DMing you after? Really? They were. I like... mean, they're we have mutual friends, <laughs> so okay. I guess I can't it. really okay. say like specifically your patrons, no? but you know, okay. people. Well, you know, we 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 we, uh, we share some fam. There we go. Excellent. Well, welcome to the main show. Love Thank having you. you here. Glad to glad to be here. Mm -hmm. And I am super excited to introduce this next guest because he created perhaps the greatest comic strip of the eighties. Um, you know him as the creator of the Far Side. I don't know how we landed him, but let's welcome Gary Larson to the show. Wow, my God. Wow, Mike. Love it. <laughs> Wait, this isn't Gary Larson. This is Ryan Larson. There we go. Better. Uh, how does well, Gary Larson spell his last name? It's the same way, isn't it? How else do people spell Larson? Is there multiple well, ways? Well, I'm the only person in my family with the last name Larson with an mm -hmm. O-N. Um, okay. My dad spelled my name wrong on my birth certificate. So, really? yeah. So the rest of the family is E-N. So if anyone's ever like, oh, are you related to this person? And it's an O-N, I'm like, no, definitely not. Because <laughs> that's wrong. That yeah. is a berserk story. <laughs> yeah. Uh, my grandma was literally in the waiting room. And my mom was like, why don't you go? So my dad got adopted when he was three by my grandpa. His last name was Workington. And my dad was like, no, that last name sucks. We're going to give you the family last name. But he hadn't used it in so long he forgot how to spell it. So I'm the wow. only one. Yep. Wow. Just me. That is a bizarre story. I really wanted to do the whole like Gary Larson shtick throughout the whole episode. But <laughs> I don't think I have the energy to keep it up right now. Commit uh, to the think, bit. I don't think I can nail that like sardonic humor. Um, so good. Yeah. Honestly, the, the school for the Midvale cartoon comic strip with the kid pushing on the pull door is so my daughter. It's incredible. Like she's this brilliant honor roll student and artist who the other day said, mom, the power went out. And then it was like, oh, my eyes are just closed. So <laughs> yeah, that's what we're brilliant. That's brilliant. So, uh, but no, you perhaps know Ryan from the many projects that he, uh, he's, and also is just being one of the most positive dudes in horror today. Um, no, don't shake your head, son of a bitch. You're a positive <laughs> guy and you're going to love it. Um, so you, you know him as one of the co-founders of the We Are Horror Zine, uh, the founder of the Ghastly Grinning site. He is a contributor to It's Bloody Disgusting and now a contributor to Consequence of Sound, which is the home of my other show. Um, so we're all part of like a family at this point. It's really nice. Ryan, welcome back. Thank you. Yeah, this is my third episode, I think. Third or fourth? Um, you were, I think, the first guest we ever had. Yeah, I did Scream 2. Scream 2. And then I did Halloween Resurrection because mm -hmm. you could find no one else. <laughs> um, and I think this. Um, we were going to do Curse, and it kind of got lost in the shuffle. Friday the 13th remake? Oh, yep, you're right. So this there is my go. fourth. So fourth yeah, time. Okay. So you're one yeah. away from the gold jacket. All right. Oh God, it's like Steve Martin on SNL. I know. It's amazing. So how are we doing tonight? I'm good. Um, I work today, but I've had lots of coffee. So mm -hmm. I'm I'm like ready to go. Excellent. Excellent. But a 12-hour day. There were some tears. There's definitely my day started with me hearing my wife and daughter yell at one another over um, parsley on the ground in the kitchen. It's been a day. So let's get nuts. Um Anyway, I always love to hear first from our guests. Um, what is it about the movie we're covering that makes you want to spend some time talking about it tonight? So 
Final Destination 3, for those now that we are about eight minutes in, Final Destination 3 is the movie. Although if you clicked on the show, it's, it is in the title. So give me a little break. Um, it is the movie we're covering tonight. BJ, what was your introduction to this movie? And does it give you the warm and fuzzies? All right. So unironically, Final Destination is my favorite horror franchise. It's the one that I think I found at just the right age and it mm -hmm. became mine. It was the franchise that I didn't have to be introduced to by my parents or friends or whatever. Like it was just something that, you know, blossomed organically in my life. Mm -hmm. And I love all of them, some more than others. Mm -hmm. But Final Destination 3 is arguably the most fun. And it, it, it exists on an intersection of a lot of things that I love. We have actors that were on the Disney Channel and in DCOMs and on So Weird, already a good strike with me. We have actors that are in all of my favorite Canadian films, another mm -hmm. perk. We have, yeah. <laughs> we have ridiculous uh, camera decisions um, that I, I don't know why they're in this movie, but I'm glad that they're there. Mm -hmm. um, and there's just a very tongue firmly in cheek comedy that really resonates within my soul because it's the same sense of humor mm -hmm. that I have. So I, I love all of these films. And uh, when I was working as a staff writer at Blumhouse.com RIP, I ranked every single kill wow. of the entire franchise. And this one came in number three. Um, we will talk about that kill later, but it was my number three of the whole series only being beaten out by the gymnastics kill in five and then Terry getting hit by a bus in one because that like yes. you know, sparked a, a million copies. Mm -hmm. So you got to give credit where credit's due. But Final Destination 3 is just so much fun and it uh, it just speaks to me on, mm -hmm. on like a very like religious level almost. Yeah. I have a quick question because I've seen you use this phrase a few times this week. I have a general idea what is it, what it is. I've never heard the phrase DCOM until maybe a week or two ago. DCOMs <laughs> are Disney Channel original movies. Okay. <laughs> and that is the uh, the like the preferred abbreviation. So I mean, we're talking about one of our lead actors in here is in uh, he's in The Luck of the Irish, which is mm -hmm. pretty good, you know, St. Patrick's Day one. But he's in Smart House, which is arguably the best Disney Channel original movie because it's basically 2001, but with Katie Siegel as a scary virtual housemaid. And it's also directed by LeVar Burton. So it wow. fucking cool. Okay. So good. Excellent. So that I'm is so glad you brought that up. That is the second piece of lingo I learned this week. The other one is I found out what sus means. Because I oh, run like oh. I run a weekly Among Us game with sixth and seventh graders during lunch, so they can just chill because they're all remote learning. That's and adorable. I always start every game with like raise your hand if you're the imposter, and everyone's like you're so corny, Mr. S. True, but I'm like they're like Mr. S is being really sus, and I'm like I don't know what that means. <laughs> and my daughter joined us for the game, and she's like it means you're being suspicious. So I'm like I'm being suspicious. Play the game. Don't so, be suspicious. Don't yeah, be so really fun. Shout out to my Among Us crew. Um, all right, Ryan, yourself. And oh, for you, I would say, like, I think this is the best franchise of the 2000 to 2010 for sure. Like, it's not my favorite of all time, but this is an awesome series. So I'm right there. I can totally see how this could be someone's favorite. 
um, Ryan yourself? Um, you know, I, honestly, BJ kind of hit on it and I knew she would because most of the time, if I am ever like talking about weird random TV shows that I loved from like the 2000s, BJ's like one of the only people ever comments and it's like, I love that show. And I'm like, yeah, I know. I figured you would. Um, Cause we both no, have bad taste. Yeah, great taste. Um, the best bad taste. Yeah, no, I mean, so I, I love this one in particular. I love the franchise too, but I, um, I love this one in particular because my favorite slashers and Mike, um, you might take some umbrage with this, but my favorite like slew of slashers is the, the two thousands like slasher mm-hmm. remakes. Um, and it's because we get all those like sexy CW casts and I just love like glossy high production and mm-hmm. seeing everyone I grew up watching. So very much same as like BJ, like, I recognize from So Weird and I recognize from, of course, like, Are You Afraid of the Dark? Because like she said, Canadian, like lots of Canadian television. Um, like one of the characters from this would go on to be on a show uh, called Whistler that I loved that I always like make a connection to. Um, and it's just really bright and really fun. And it totally like hits all of my like intersectional things too. I love, uh, like you, I love theme parks. Um, I really like like carnival environments. So like the whole tricentennial thing at the end, like really, I love that entire set piece. Um, and I think it's just like the most fun out of all five. I, mm-hmm. I do genuinely enjoy all five, but this is the one that feels the most like, I don't know. It feels like the most 2000s of all those slasher movies. So mm-hmm. it very neatly into like my vibe from that yeah. era. So um and a Mar- mary elizabeth one said it's just always a win and i love ryan merriman too like she said smart house 13th or mm-hmm. uh luck of the irish he's not in the 13th year that's the mermaid one mm-hmm. um but yes uh so all those different things combined make it just uh mm-hmm. always my favorite to go back to yeah i will say like i like being wrong and i think i said on the last show i'm like no two is the most fun one like three like three is really good but it's not more fun than two that's crazy talk um yeah, I was wrong. Like this movie is like an absolute <laughs> pure like sugar rush bliss. There is like no fat on this movie whatsoever. It is like lean and mean and it just goes the whole time. Like there's never a moment where you like take a breath and they have like let's have a really boring exposition dump for like 8 <laughs> minutes. Like it just like runs with it from the start. And it is like to your point, I think like when you think of like the good things of like late nineties to mid two thousands horror, like especially given like how most horror around this time was like really doom and gloom. This is such a breath of fresh air. Like it really is. Nothing gloomy about final destination. (laughs) Well, true. I mean, aside aside from all the like young lives being cut out, like in their prime, when they have far more days ahead of them than behind them. Besides that, it's just, you know, it's kind, of riot. Like, it's kind of like Ever After without the romantic comedy bits and more Correct. about yeah, the yeah, yeah. grisly death by subway. So, so Lindsay, you were really excited to talk about this one, if I remember correct, right? What got you, and, and, and also, I'll, I have, actually, I'll ask this question after. This is for Lindsay. Like, what got you really excited to, to get this one into the picture? Um, I mean, I was excited about all of them. I was really excited about this whole franchise. At the beginning, when a few of us were doing that rewatch, everyone was kind of like, oh, every other one is good. Like the Mm -hmm. first one, the third one, the fifth one are the ones everyone really liked. 
I was like, okay, we'll see. So I didn't hate the second one, but I thought it was fine. And then we watched this one like a week later and I was like, oh yeah, like I get your point. This one mm-hmm. has a really fun, I know everyone likes a roller coaster the best. I still don't know what my favorite opening is. I still mm-hmm. can't uh, commit to an answer there, but the roller coaster is awesome. The cast is awesome. And you're right. This one is just like super mean and it mm-hmm. doesn't stop. The rest of them um, spend a lot of time specifically two, And then again with four, they spend a lot of time explaining stuff to you as where this one's just like, people are dying. They like change mm-hmm. the lore a little bit with some like weird, which we'll get to uh, weird spots about like the camera and they kind of make it a little bit different, but they don't like slow it down to tell no. us a bunch of stuff. Like exactly what you said. It's just like a nonstop rush of very very excellent massive kills which i think is so yeah. fun love it love it so here's my question for everyone all of our guests so far have watched these movies out of order did you come to the final destination series at any particular entry or uh did you start at the beginning and make your way through i went from the beginning and mm-hmm. went completely linear because okay. oh, i was you I was introduced to the first one when I, w- I would have been, what, 10 at that point, mm-hmm. I think. And I loved it. So then, of course, anytime there was a new one, I was like, well, I got to go rent that from Blockbuster. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, so I watched these right. in order. Yeah, I watched them in order, too. Um, I had definitely had to rent them because by the time, let's see, by the time three came out, I, was, I wasn't even 17 yet. So mm-hmm. I remember buying this one and having the DVD with like the choose your, like the choose your own adventure basically. Mm-hmm. Um, but I've definitely seen them all in order. And then four and five, I saw in theaters. I remember I have a very distinct memory of seeing five actually, because I was like really drunk. Um, I went to Disneyland and then I saw it at downtown Disney afterwards. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And I'm actually like surprised to remember it because I was like pretty sloshed. But um, like, I was going to say, being sloppy drunk usually doesn't make for like crystal clear memories. <laughs> yeah, no, but I was with like a really like core group of friends and we had a blast seeing it. Mm-hmm. So um, I have like distinct memories of that one, but I definitely saw them all in order. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I have a question for you, BJ, given the story you told about House of Haunted Hill and your dad scaring the bejesus <laughs> out of you when you were watching it, like after you watch this, did he immediately book you guys on a flight and then whisper in your ear, I think we're going to go down like right so, after takeoff? There's actually a funny story about that. My dad is not allowed to watch the first Final Destination film because he is petrified of going on airplanes. Mm-hmm. Like he's that guy that you have to get like, shit housed before you put him mm-hmm. on an airplane because he'll freak out the whole time he paces around looking at the window watching people clean the plane and just being like oh they took a thing off oh my god like he just he can't handle it and um it was playing on like fx or something mm-hmm. uh one it was christmas actually so this is festive and perfect um but we were watching it on like christmas on fx or tbs or something and it was that opening scene and he walks in and my cousins and i are watching this and i was like you gotta get the fuck out of here and he's like why and i was like because it's a plane crash scene he's like no i have to watch it and i was like nope we were shoving you out the door so this is like the one moment i have of being like stronger and cooler Mm -hmm. and tougher than my dad because Mm -hmm. he don't he don't play with airplanes and we're not going to expose him to this because he would it would he would never get on a flight ever again 
I just want you to start a new podcast where you just tell stories about your dad. I think that <laughs> I mean, would be such a delight. That's like basically what this is that prom has been turning into mm -hmm. recently because we'll talk about like parental figures and then it's mm -hmm. like my wife being like, my dad's a piece of shit and me being like, my dad was really awesome. Yeah. <laughs> <Aww>. <laughs> Oh man. My mom's right. really scared of flying too, and she'll be mad at me if she can hear me or ever listens to this, but she has to get like doped up to the teeth on Adivan to get anywhere mm -hmm. near like an airport. And it's just like part of my life. Like so anytime I'm traveling with like friends and they're like, I'm a little scared of flying, I'm like, oh don't worry, I got you. Like I am so used to being like a six-year-old kid, like mm -hmm. like managing my mom's like panic and then peeling her off the like luggage cart. She's like high out of her mind, being like, wee. Um, <laughs> that is wonderful. So I'm very familiar. With when we sentiment. got married, my wife emptied out a bunch of like Poland Springs water bottles and filled them with gin and tonics. And <laughs> like her dad literally like before she could walk down the little aisle at the little like re restaurant we got married in in Harvard Square, had to like yoink, like take the water bottle away from her so she wouldn't get, you know, like super drunk before throwing the rest of her life away with me. So, um, <laughs> well, and the photographer tried to move me out of the way. Like she was like, oh, the groom goes here and then physically moved me. And I'm like, who do you think I am? Like, you've been to my house. I wrote you a check. Like, <laughs> so, like, what are you trying to do right now? Um, so yeah, marriage, man. What Wedding. a, what a fucking Can't trip. relate. Um, <laughs> sorry. <laughs> Um, there. um all right now that i've lost track of thought and have completely derailed things um and these like segues and tangents like they're just completely now we just derail very quickly it's great um like i said that's what they're here for do you know what, what else derails for. the roller coaster in oh Ladies this... and gentlemen, I'll <sighs> um, never do that again. I promise. <laughs> like way. No, we won't. Well, they more. couldn't see me like half dabbing, so it's fine. <laughs> Thank that God it's an awesome audio segue. platform. <laughs> yeah. All right. So a little bit about the background here. Uh, James Wong and Glenn Morgan are back to co-write the film, and Wong directs again after they had done the first one. And they talk about making like a conscious decision to make the characters teenagers again and high schoolers again after the second movie and you know i know we talked about the tension between reddick and morgan and wong and i think wong had said like eh, the second one kind of lost a little bit of steam like we couldn't really see a reason why all these adults are together and kind of the fun gets sucked out of it a little bit as well considering who we're making these movies for um what's really interesting about this movie is this is the first one they filmed with like the dvd in mind um, and I found it really interesting, like Ryan, you had actually asked the other day, like you were doing a rewatch of all of these and you're like, why is there not like a, a scream factory or vinegar syndrome box set of like the final destination movies. And you don't really need one. Um, new line in particular would do like special editions for all of their movies, um, all their horror movies in particular. So you go through like the Final Destination Blu-ray set, which and it's just all the special features from the DVDs from the 2000s. They are chock full of stuff. Like they are ridiculously packed. So, you know, we'll talk a little bit about the, um, what do you call it? Choose your fate feature that this had, but you have like a feature length making of documentary. 
you have like audio commentaries, you have like isolated scores, you have tons of deleted scenes, you have these little um, animated featurettes about like death always is always there. like they had stuff that had nothing to do with the movie except the, thematically. So it's one of the things I feel like we've really lost in streaming. Um, you don't get that anymore. It's like, eh, you know, you'll pay 12 bucks for a stream that you don't really own and you get nothing with it. And I hate that. Yeah, my uh, best friend the other day casually was like, hey, should I uh, keep my DVDs? Like we've definitely reached a point in technology where I don't need these anymore, right? And I went into like this full like, no physical media forever. Mm-hmm paying a perpetual license for movies a scam and she like there was like an article this week about how like first final destination like the there's a scene that's kind of cut from the streaming version of it now and why is that and mm-hmm. you know it's not there on the in the blu-rays you just get the full unfiltered goodness but mm-hmm. like 15 bucks for the first four movies and you have an insane amount of bonus features like you cannot go wrong with it um this is a really neat one. This is like, and Ryan, you had mentioned this, so I'm going to be quiet here and talk and let you talk for a little bit because who wants to hear me? Tell us about the choose your fate feature. And did you play with this? Like, did you get to go back in and kind of mess around with it? Um, yeah. So first of all, Mike, I love hearing you talk. I was actually just thinking this week, I was like, Mike is like my George Clooney. Like you have a velvet, <laughs> you have a velvet voice and I love hearing it. Um, I sound like a Muppet and I look like, um, oh God. Ken Cloverfield Lane, but not Barry. Oh, I, I am drawing a blank. Oh, and I love him. John, John Goodman, Goodman, a man I love. I look like John Goodman. That's like <laughs> the best movie. compliment you could ever give yourself. Like Coyote Ugly is a great movie on its own, and then you put mm-hmm. John Goodman in it, and it's even better. Okay. So I mean, I am flattered. I am flattered. I will accept the compliment. Uh, but so okay, I don't own any of them anymore. Okay, I'm like horror fans will hear this and like freak out. I'm not a physical media person. Um, I know it's, I know, I'm sorry. I'm just mm-hmm. not, um, I like, I used to be a lot and cause I grew up a comic book collector and I've just moved too many times and mm-hmm. I'm like, I can't keep doing this. Like it's so much to carry with me. So I picked one collection and, um, it's my CDs, which I have 900 of now. Like I still buy CDs and, but I'm just not a big physical media person. I, I have my, I buy my Marvel movies and I have my box sets, right? And that's it. Um, and so I'll buy a box set when it comes out. And other than that, it's few and far between. But I did have the DVD for this and I do remember. And because I wanted to play around with it, I went on YouTube and I was like, show me all the alternate um, features. So <laughs> I just went through with like the YouTube playlist and like played with them. Um, and I mean, you can read them too online, but they're, there's some that are like pretty drastically different. Like the tanning bath, uh, tanning um, bed scene is like dr- uh, pretty different. Um, mm-hmm. But there's some that like you know, um, the like the whole nail gun scene barely changes. It's like mm-hmm. it makes birds fly over her head instead of like sand falling down or whatever. Mm-hmm. And um, I do remember playing with it a lot though when it came out, and specifically in my bedroom alone because. I couldn't watch rated our movie. So I had to like sneak these. Um, and then I was like up there, like seeing what I was going to do, like playing this little game with like the final destination DVD. But I, I thought it was an interesting idea. And even watching the YouTube clips, watching it, I was like, it's so odd to me that they knew they were going to do this. Well, I don't know if they knew it or not, 
but if they did, they had to just film all this stuff separately, yeah, or if these were all separate takes that they just decided we're going to, now we have this extra feature we can do on the DVD. So my understanding from reading it is like Wong and Morgan actually worked in tandem with the producers of the bonus content, like before, because I think, you know, like the first two Final Destination, really all the Final Destination movies, like they're all not minor hits, but they're not like massive when you factor everything in. But like, I would say like the reason why there's a three year gap between one and two is because like the DVD sales for that were so strong that New Line was like, we can do a sequel based on the strength. And then um, I think they had planned a third one after the second one, knowing that like they're going to recoup a lot on DVD. But like Wong and Morgan worked hand in hand with the bonus content creators. And like, okay, like we know that one of the features is going to be like a choose your own adventure thing. So we're going to film these alternate takes. We're going to have these things to go along with it. They knew that like, we're going to be filming a documentary. So we're going to make ourselves like really accessible throughout it. And I guess like Wong and Morgan, I should mention, they've been like best friends since high school. They met in like AP English class together and went to film school together. And like, it's just, it's kind of a neat story how much like they not just like became writing partners in the, um, early 90s but have been like really good friends for like many many years which is really cool but yeah they knew ahead of time like we have a ton of stuff to put onto the dvd as well i think it's really kind of neat you know i mean sometimes you get like oh deleted scenes and it's like you get nothing you know you get absolutely like no content extra content there whatsoever but these were real like we're going to make some real choices what is different about for those who haven't seen the um or or um gone through this like what in particular is different about the um tanning bed scene so in the um oh i'm gonna get their names mixed up ashley uh, and ashlyn yeah i was gonna say uh, i literally have them written as the tanning bed babes yeah um, okay so it's ashlyn uh gets knocked out she she gets out of the bed and she gets knocked out instead and she's laying on the ground mm-hmm. as the um as ashley continues to burn and then she finally wakes up and the way she dies is she opens the booth and it's still like all the glass still breaks in and ashley gets electrocuted and then electrocutes Ashlyn while she's trying to save her from the booth. Oh my god, grim! And yeah, it's that's also, even more grim. Yeah, it's very. Uh, I'm glad they didn't go with it because the electric effects are very like you know like mm-hmm. blue lightning bolts traveling mm-hmm. up the body. Uh, so I was like, oh, I can see why they maybe didn't go with this one. Okay, and that was they- like the the big difference. And if they did that differently, then we wouldn't have that amazing transition cut from the two tanning beds directly to their like side by side caskets yes. in, the, in the graveyard, which is just uh, when I was talking earlier about there are so many like ridiculous camera choices in this. Like mm-hmm. that's one of them where I'm like, oh, it's so mean it's beautiful. and beautiful. It really is. It really. And, you know, like these could have been played as we'll talk more about them. I think we'll because we're going to definitely talk about the tanning bed scene. So I should save it. Um, the one other difference I know is like there's a scene that reveals the fate of Officer Burke and Kimberly in part one, where they end up dying by wood chipper. Um, <laughs> we're like a newspaper article, yes. if I remember correctly. So my question, this is for Lindsay, what is worse, finding out that a character has died by wood chipper in a newspaper article 
or the Devon Sawa like death by falling brick. <laughs> okay, it depends what you mean by worse <laughs> because brick is definitely getting done dirtier. Mm-hmm. Um, but so worse in that sense, but definitely infinitely funnier to me that the like lead, the like heartthrob, or I guess he was kind of coming off um okay. the lead uh heartthrob who might have been uh done being a heartthrob by then um was uh killed off screen before the sequel mm-hmm. by a brick in an unglamorous right. hilarious way as if death was stalking him his, waiting outside with a brick in his hand his devin Sawa circled back around though to being a heartthrob because everything i'm seeing like every tweet about hunter hunter is the thirstiest fucking tweet in the world I mean, for devin Sawa hunter right hunter now. for sure I don't know. I mean, I don't know that he ever left being a heartthrob per se, mm-hmm. but it's not like, you know, he was at the like time of like Jonathan Taylor Thomas and when like Leo mm-hmm. DiCaprio was, you know, Romeo and your poster mm-hmm. on your wall that you like, maybe this is a very specific anecdote, <laughs> you know, the yes. poster on your wall that you stared at before you fell asleep. Everyone, everyone mm-hmm. with me. Um, uh, no. 14, I understand. <laughs> yeah. So you get it. Uh, so that was, you know, so he was of that time. I don't know that he's still walking around being a heartthrob. I wouldn't say that he's, I mean, I guess he plays an action hero in The Fanatic, but mm-hmm. I'll let okay. you make your own decisions about that. All I, right. think, I think he's at this point now where I don't think he ever got to transition into like adult heartthrob, but mm-hmm. he's definitely going to get stopped on the street by like people around our age being like, you changed my life in Casper. Like that's yes. going to still happen. Yes. But, okay. Because I yes. don't know, I I definitely saw a number of a number of postings. It was like very like Daddy Sawa, not Devin Sawa anymore. Well, it's Daddy Sawa. He plays oh god, he plays a father sickos, um, mm-hmm. and uh, he uh, you know Canadian icon Devin Sawa with his like really weird combination of a Vancouver and LA accent that he's cultivated. Uh, plays a rugged dude in the wood who's woods who still hits those Canadian O's, and uh, we love him for it. It's very hot, very hot. Not definitely not dead by brick in this one. Excellent. No, he was okay. not dead by a brick. Well, okay. So let's talk the roller coaster set piece. I guess I want to start off by asking, like, what are your own experiences or thoughts of of amusement parks? Like, I have my own, but like. Does anyone here like really love the thrill park rides and amusement parks? Do we avoid them or they're like, nope, there are rides I won't go on? Or do we like really kind of seek them out? I have a love-hate relationship with amusement mm-hmm. parks and theme parks. I love them. Um, they bring me so much joy, but I have a hatred one because I used to work at one for a summer as a costumed mm. character. Um, that may or may not be everyone's favorite yellow bird from cartoon Looney of the Looney types. Oh my God. Did that for a summer. Um, so that that's a thing. But <laughs> I love roller coasters and I love thrill rides. But the problem is that most thrill rides have the over the shoulder harnesses. Mm-hmm. And those don't work well if you have big boobs mm-hmm. um because... about, it's just not our world i can't fit my hips in the seat you can't fit your yes, hips in a roller coaster I can't. it's baloney <laughs> so every time i put them on i either have to like wrap my arms around the harness and then like smash my boobs together so that they fit mm-hmm. through that hole and then i can't breathe the entire ride hmm. or else i can't go because the no. distance between my chest to my stomach with that harness is so 
big that I will slip out from under the ride. Mm -hmm. And what's terrifying is I realized this, um, having a similar situation to what happens in this movie where I was on a ride once and the harness flew up because it oh, wasn't Jesus. able to lock on me. Thankfully there was like a seat wrap um, mm -hmm. and I, you know, I could hold on for dear life, but that was the moment where I was like, yep, if it requires an over the head harness, I can't, I can't go on this ride. It just mm -hmm. can't do it. That's so scary. It's a very scary story. It was like one of the most horrifying experiences of my that life. That is absolutely so terrifying. Yeah. And it was, uh, it was one of, and what's funny is it wasn't my like high school carnival, which also this movie's carnival doesn't make any fucking sense to me, but we can go into that later yeah. um but it was for like our eighth grade graduation like congrats junior high grads let's go mm -hmm. to the theme park and it flew up and the kid next to me like all he did was yell nope and then like tried to slam it down with his hand and like I, he's just sitting there holding it his little like 13 year old gangly ass arms trying to help <laughs> me it was very sweet but like mm -hmm. we weren't friends it was just a situation of like oh god we're it's in like, this I, together now i really <laughs> don't want the person next to me to die so. right <laughs> so wow. like i just remember getting getting through there and <laughs> And like this is also the theme park that I worked at eventually in high school. Like, what the hell was I thinking? But I like pulled in, and the harness was up, and like the poor, you know, minimum wage worker who's running the board was like, "Um, when did that go up?" And I went, "Um, right before the drop. Thank mm -hmm. you." And he's like, "Uh, we're closing this ride. Sorry." Yeah, that's oh. not good. How about you, Ryan? Uh, I love thrill rides too. I love amusement parks and thrill rides. Um, another little known fact: I don't tout it very much on Twitter because. I, sometimes I just don't need the mentions, but uh, I love Disneyland. It's mm -hmm. it's like my favorite place in the, in the world. Um, like I when I lived in I lived in Orange County from like 09 to 2012, and I was I had a premium pass, and I went almost every day. Like I'd mm -hmm. go for dinner. I'd be like, "What do you want for dinner?" And I'd go get a soup bowl. Like that's just how I would get dinner. Mm -hmm. um, so I love amusement parks and I love thrill rides. Uh, I have had a couple not great experiences on thrill rides. Uh, similar to BJ, I was on. <laughs> I was on boomerang at six flags in Vallejo and it was about to take off. And my harness was just went and like went up and I was just like, Nope, not, I'm not. And they're like, no, it's okay. And I was like, I'm cool off that man. Nah, yeah. like, uh, so I got off that ride and I was like, nah. And then in the same park, actually, they had a ride called V2 where you like shoot up and then you go backwards and you're looking straight down. Mm -hmm. And, mm -hmm. um, I got stuck looking straight down and my dad, uh, ever the like thought he was hilarious man was sitting on the ground going they said there's a bolt missing and like no people... <laughs> yeah absolutely not. so yeah sorry keep going you know, and like <laughs> people nope. people are up there and they're like what what did he say i'm like no no that's my dad he's a jackass don't listen to him and i'm like he's definitely lying and my dad's like nope nope definitely something is wrong and i'm just like oh christ and I'm like Excellent. i know he's lying but um i will say like I've always, you know, I logic myself out of a lot of things when we talk, when you guys were talking about like the airplane, um, I, I get afraid of flights, but then I like remember statistics and I'm like the chances of something happening. Like, you know, I drive to work every day. There's a greater chance of something happening there. So I logic myself out of being afraid of it. Um, and roller coasters is usually the same thing. Cause I'm like, well, inertia will keep me in if anything happens. Uh, but looking straight down, I'm like, no, I would die like straight up. Like if you're just looking straight down, nothing's keeping you in, like you're just falling. So that one was definitely not my favorite thing to happen 
Um, and then I, I don't know, I got old and stopped going on roller coasters, I guess. Mm -hmm. Like I'm 32 now and a lot of my friends don't like them. So I usually end up having to go alone and it's just not as fun for me. That way, yeah, so. I totally understand that. How about you, Lindsay? Uh, yeah, so there's a theme park that was pretty close to where I grew up. So we used to get like seasons passes and go every day in the summer that we could go and just like hit up all the roller coasters. And I remember feeling like so, so brave. But now since I've lived there, they have these like giant roller coasters that make all the ones that I took look like just like embarrassing. Like they're, in they're truly <laughs> insane. Like you can see them like a hundred miles away on the highway. Um, and I'm like, oh yeah, that's a hard no for me. I have a few good anecdotes. One of my favorites is actually going to Disney World with my dad. And I was still pretty scared to ride as a kid. And my dad convinced me to go on the Tower of Terror. And I was like, I'm going to like, I'm going to do this. So we did it. And it was the scariest experience of my life, but it was so cool. And I was like, yeah, okay, let's do the rock and roller coaster now. And I don't know if anyone's done the rock and roller coaster before. Yeah. I've done it. I've done it. So yeah. That? It's this like ACDC, ACDC, Aerosmith, Aerosmith themed, God, imagine, um, <laughs> this Aerosmith themed roller coaster that like is inside with like black lights. So you kind of can't see like when you're upside down or not. And you shoot like the beginning is that you like launch from like, I don't know, they say it's like zero to 60. I don't know what it actually is. You like launch forward. There's no like ramp up like a regular roller coaster. Mm -hmm. You just like launch and you can see everyone launch. And that's when you're in the line. So I was like in the line with my dad and it's like my favorite story because my like tough guy dad who convinced me to do Tower of Terror, his like tiny little daughter was like, yeah, dad, let's do it. And my dad was trying to scare me out of it. And he like admits it now, but for like 20 years, he was like, I wouldn't do something like that. And he would like, he's like putting his arm around me being like, look, look, they go really fast. Are you sure you want to do this? Because yes. if you're too scared, we don't have to go because he was so scared and trying to talk <laughs> a like young little girl out of it. And I was like, no dad, I want to do it. But I like distinctly remember I had like a really long ponytail and because it's inside, you don't even know you're upside down except for the fact like your ponytail is like pointed in the wrong direction. Mm -hmm. That's incredible. I love theme parks and roller coasters. I hated roller coasters growing up. And then somewhere in my twenties, I just like embrace them and I will pretty much ride anything. Like on our honeymoon, my wife and I went to like um, St. Petersburg and we did Bush Gardens one day and she does not like theme rides. So the first thing I took her on was like the fourth scariest roller coaster in the country for wooden roller coasters, not knowing that it was that. And she hated it. And then later on, I remember we went on like a kiddie coaster together and there were like two little kids in front of me. It was like made for like, like really like seven and eight year olds. There's two little kids in front of us in the cart. And at one point she goes, ah, this is about my speed. And they turn around and gave her this look of like absolute hatred. Like, damn you, you know? Um, I, I remember like it, with grad school being like super hard. I remember like, all right, what I'm going to do to get myself through this year is like when it's over, I'm taking the family to Universal Studios. Like, that's what we're going to do. I've always wanted to go. I can't wait. And, you know, just like the best night I had there, my daughter and I um, went like after a rainstorm when it was a little bit slower in the evening. And we just like hit all of these like coasters and like thrill rides like Kong and Jurassic Park and like Hulk. And there were like no lines for them. We just went on them over and over again. Um, and then last summer after she came back from England with my wife, cause I go there to visit family every year. Um, 
I took her to a theme park near us and she did her first like corkscrew coasters. Oh, yeah, and, like, yeah. and I've got like all of these like videos of her like talking about how much she loved them, you know? So I love, absolutely love going on roller coasters. So like to me, like watching this again, like in the way it's shot, like this is like a really, really fun opening to a movie. And I'm like, it's made me sad because I was going to buy like the, um, six Flags like passed this summer and didn't for some reason and then we had COVID and we didn't get to go on any roller coasters this year so this like know. prompted me to look up the giant roller coasters from Canada's Wonderland mm-hmm. that's what it's called and they're like when you guys get a chance look at the, Levi- the Leviathan and the Yukon Striker mm-hmm. they're truly absurd and uh, so the theme park it used to be called Paramount Canada's Wonderland. Uh, so all the roller coasters were named after movies, but then mm-hmm. they sold it when things switched with Paramount mm-hmm. and like renamed them all <laughs> like really hilarious bootleg versions of the movies. Mm-hmm. So there used to be like Top Gun and now it's called like. Hey listeners, Mike here. I just want to cut into the show with what I promise will be a brief pitch for our Patreon account. And I got musical cues and everything to not run past. If you love what we do and what we bring each week in terms of analysis, humor, criticism, insight, charm, good looks, really the complete package, we hope you consider supporting us by becoming a Patreon of our pod. Your contributions allow us to build what we've done for nearly 100 episodes now by paying for our server's hosts, by purchasing better recording and editing equipment, and by giving us the funds we need to buy the movies, the books, the documentaries, and other research materials we use to bring each episode to life. Our weekly show is always going to be free, and we know that times are tight for everyone right now. We also know there's a number of phenomenal podcasts deserving of your support. That's why, as well as our gratitude, we offer bonus content to all levels of patrons, starting at just two bucks. Every month, we deliver a complete bonus episode on a movie we might not otherwise cover, and all of our patrons get access to our exclusive Slack channel where we talk horror, music, any other types of movies. Really, it's a cool little community with our patrons right now that are all just awesome people. With 2021 right around the corner, I got some more ideas up my sleeve on how to give everybody some more content and some more swag. So please help keep the show strong by heading to patreon.com slash pod and the pendulum and become a supporter today. And now back to the show. Top flight and stuff like that. It's very excellent. Mm-hmm. Um, I would definitely look that up. We'll definitely look that up. (laughs) BJ, you were saying like this particular, like the the carnival the kids go to is like really bizarre. What (laughs) stood out to you? So it's bizarre on a couple of reasons. One, because there are some aspects of this carnival that definitely look like a traveling fair Mm -hmm. of something that, you know, pops up for the weekend around Labor Day and then leaves. But then they have this massive roller coaster so that clearly is not getting packed up and moved along like that's staying where it is but the thing that is the most strange to me is at one point uh mary elizabeth winstead's character wendy is yelling at her sister julie and is like what are you doing here as if like it's 
senior night and only seniors can be there and yes. then there's like the frankie kid and they're like you graduated two years ago what are you doing here and i'm like this is clearly a packed amusement park this cannot mm -hmm. all be your senior class right i don't understand because at the same time it's like that like the ending of greece uh, first off uh, it's my least favorite movie in the world but um the ending of greece is like the senior carnival that is like a pop-up carnival for the seniors like that makes sense to me but i'm like i'm am i to believe that this full ass amusement park is just your senior class and right. that's why it's a big deal that your sister and this you know weirdo who's creeping on high uh -huh. school girls is here i who's policing it who is right. like hey, taking tickets you know frankie cheeks is gonna go where frankie cheeks wants to go like nobody gets <laughs> in the way true. of he lives you know he lives the life he wants to live so yeah, there's definitely that, like, you know, like, it's a huge, and they even make a point, like, one of the characters is like, if we don't get in line now, we're going to have to wait an hour and a half. Like, they know right. it's not just like this. Um, fun fact, like, the school is named McKinley after the uh, President McKinley, who was assassinated. Like, the a lot of the references in this movie are to, like, assassinated presidents and political figures, which is... That's weird. Again, weird and dark and tickles my funny bone a little bit. Um, so for you, for the crew here, where did... What do we love about... Because I think this set piece, it is... God, it's neck and neck with the... Um, Car, the the car crash scene in part two now after we watching them so close together what do we love about this opening sequence i mean what's not to love i don't know it's, it's scary it's we're back to high school kids which we love mm -hmm. um i don't i again i still don't know which one my favorite one is i uh i don't like rankings which everyone knows but um i don't know i think this is one of my favorites because i think roller coasters is something i really associate mm -hmm. with being that age, maybe? I don't know. I don't know. What does everyone else think? What I love about it, I love the opening. The way this ride starts out, you have the tracking shot of them going up the track, and then the camera pans out, and it swivels back to the riders. And it does this really wonderful thing. Like, when you're... You, I just feel my stomach, like, going down further and further as it's going up the track. Like, you're anticipating that really big drop right away. Um, and it's just, like such a then to have it like pivot back on them i don't know what it is about that shot but i like actually went back and rewatched it a few times and it's just like because again like on a roller coaster like you're expecting people to scream the whole time like you know if, a, if on a plane crash you can see things kind of getting messed up a car crash obviously like if there are trucks that are in flames in front of you you're going to do whatever you can to kind of avoid that if there's any possibility but there's almost no way to know from an outsider's perspective that something is actually going wrong because the whole time you're expected. If a roller coaster is quiet and people aren't screaming their heads off, then it's probably not a really good coaster. Yeah, I think, I think, um, I don't know. I, I go back and forth to on two and three, like which one I think ultimately I've decided two is the most impactful and effective. I just listened to your guys's episode on two mm -hmm. on my way home from work today. And, um, oh. and it, it sticks with you, right? Like, it's like you said, like that forever. And anyone driving on the freeway, like thinks of that movie. Mm -hmm. And so like, it's a very impactful opening scene. Um, and it's weird again to say it's like it's more fun to watch these kids get murdered this way, but um, it is more fun to watch the kids get murdered this way, like on this roller coaster. And it's just like 
you know, Mike, you talk uh, on the on your guys' first episode about this, about the whole like Rube Goldbergian effect. Mm-hmm. And like, I think there's so much of that happening here, especially with the roller coaster of all these. Uh, in this movie in particular, they do that a lot of all yes. these little things that have to happen, but like the roller coaster, especially. And and like Lindsay said too, like I love that it just does feel very associated to like us being teenagers. Like I remember getting to go to Six Flags with my class. And like, you know, when you're a teenager, and like you go to a, a theme park, like most of the time the teachers are like, okay, meet back here at whenever, like, and mm-hmm. that's your rule, right? And you're kind of on your own. And it's like one of those experiences where you're like, we're kids and we're on our own. And like, um, you know, it's usually like summer. So there's like all these like vibes that go with it. And I, and I really like that too. Um, so I think three is my favorite, um, but not the most impactful, but it is my favorite mm-hmm. in, as far as like the way everything goes. And it really sets the pace for the movie too, because mm-hmm. like, it really, you know, not to, um, like, no pun intended, but it goes off the rails. And uh, like, it kind of just follows that for, like, the rest of the movie. Mm-hmm. I think for me, three three is definitely my my favorite opening. I agree that it's, it doesn't have quite the same impact as the second one. But I think what makes three so strong is that compared to the other ones in the series, the other ones have these really gruesome and violent deaths, but you don't really know where they're going to go with it. I mean, with the exception of like the log, like, you know, like this is going to fall off. Someone's going to crash into it or it's going to go through a window. We can, we can, you know, kind of, kind of peg that from the beginning, but everything else that follows, we don't know how they're going to, like how each car is going to impact another car. Uh, Same thing with the plane. We don't know are they going to fly out the window? Are they going to catch fire? Like, we don't, we don't know where they're going, but on a roller coaster, you know, where it's going. Like, you're like, Mm -hmm. this is going to go upside down and someone's going to fall off of it. Or someone's going to hit into the side of this because these are those weird, some conscious thoughts that we have when we're on a roller coaster ourselves Mm -hmm. of all of the ways this could go wrong. And we, you know, we get all of the news reports. Anytime something bad happens at an amusement park, we all know the the terrible stories of so-and-so got their head kicked off because they jumped the fence or whatever. So I think there's this weird sort of imagination boost that happens the second they're going up that roller coaster where you know it's a final destination movie they're all gonna die and you start putting those pieces together immediately and that makes it kind of stick with you a little bit more yeah that's a really good point i think the beginning sets the pace like differently too because watching all five again like the first two and i love the i i I like the first one a lot and Mm -hmm. the second one i'm kind of with Lindsay. i'm i'm it's fine. Um, other than the first like set piece, I think it's like really fine, but they're very like gray and blue movies and like kind of dull. And like this one, like right from the get go, you know, it's like, it's got all these flashing lights and sounds and everyone, mm-hmm. you know, it was 2006 baby. So everyone's wearing neon and right. like, um, <laughs> you know, everyone's got their emover and like, mm-hmm. um, I don't know, like just right from the get go leading up to that, mm-hmm. it, it all kind of, you just, it feels like a very different Final Destination movie. Yeah. I actually think two feels really mean. And then by the end, it gets like really convoluted mm-hmm. and like, but mean in a different way, like mean in a bleak and like a lot of despair. And it might just be yeah. the environment, right? It's very overcast and rainy, that whole movie. Um, and so this one, when you start out at the carnival and they go back to the teenagers and maybe it's because I, you know, was graduating high school in 2006. So it's like, that's me. Um, I, I, like it could be that too, but I, I like all that stuff leading into it as well. It kind of lets you know 
where the whole movie's mm-hmm. going to go. One of the things too that I like about this, and the second one, and I, I mentioned this on the episode, like I forgot that like Kimberly's cat friends like die in the car crash. I completely for it's, it's a great moment. Um, with this one, like Mary Elizabeth Winstead, she gets off like Wendy gets off the coaster, and her boyfriend, who you know to his credit, is like, "Come on, that's my that's my girlfriend. Let me off. I need to check on her." And the for whatever reason, the theme park operator is like, "No, why am I going to do that? Like, why would I press a button so you could easily get off?" So, you know, she has to watch her boyfriend and her best friend go to their death like she knows what's going to happen like in the first movie alex has his premonition but you don't know that like the plane is going to crash like he who knows what's going on there i mean we know because it would be a really boring movie if like and then the plane landed in paris and they had a very fun time it would be a deep movie it would just it would become like a romantic comedy right it would be totally different in the second one i'm going to use that phrase like in places where it doesn't even apply I feel like you're saying like decommissioned so um in the second one like everything just happens like bing 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 it's so quick like there's no time to really catch your breath there in this one like and i think Lindsay, you had said how there's like a real meanness to this movie at times like that's part of the meanness like you are watching someone that you love go to their death and there's like absolutely nothing that you can do about it um and what i like about this movie too is like you spend a good like 20 minutes with these kids before they actually get on the coaster so you kind of get a real good feel for them um yeah because of the rest of the movie it's really just like wendy and kevin and then like they only visit like Wendy very much like Kimberly is like everywhere she turns up, like people die at that point. Um, like if she just left people alone, maybe they would make it. Um, but you get to know them a little bit. And I really like that about this movie. Yeah. You can almost see them correcting what happened with the second one where like their whole backstories and how they're connected and mm-hmm. the whole theory of the deaths is so convoluted that you really don't care about a lot of them. Mm-hmm. Like I didn't care about anybody in that movie. Mm-hmm. Like even that whole like finale. Hey, whatever. Um, maybe that's a little harsh, but I don't think you mm-hmm. care about them as much. And then in this one, you can tell that they spent time being like, no, these are teens and they have lives and loves mm-hmm. and you care about them a little bit more. And I do think it right. takes you back to part one in that way where you do care about right. Alex and his friends. For the future, damn it. We're killing the future. Is what <laughs> with the air, so, um, <laughs> You know, and I do like they bring, like like we said in the last one, like Tony Todd, like Bloodworth has a side hustle and his side hustle is he's the <laughs> yeah. creepy voice of amusement park rides, which apparently was like a two-ton carved piece of styrofoam that was anatomically correct. Like they were showing in the major making of feature it, making of feature it. Like he has balls basically like under his skirt. So one of the actors, I think it was... Um, I think it was, um, what's his Dallas, Texas battle was like, look at his balls. Like he was amazed at this like giant <laughs> gargoyle thing or devil thing had them. So um, I don't know. I mean, I guess like if you can, why not? I guess like if you can get away with it, why not? So it was 2006 and they were like, yeah. everything needs balls. balls. Everything needs balls sure. right now. So. Your amusement park ride needs truck nuts. So <laughs> devil. They need them. So, oh, lovely. Um, yeah, I there is one thing I want to ask. So Frankie Cheeks drops his camera onto the tracks in the vision. 
Mm-hmm. And that allegedly, like, I mean, obviously the there's already experiencing some problems, but when he gets off the poster, he has his camera. So what happens? Like what actually sets this thing off? My thinking is that Frankie's camera was definitely a contributing factor to this roller coaster going off the mm-hmm. rails. But we see in, you know, future parts of this ride, one of the one of the poles is is broken and mm-hmm. pops up. So camera or no camera, they're still gonna mm-hmm. crash and die. Yeah. It's just not going to be quite the same as this premonition, which I mean, that makes complete sense and still tracks. They got off. So now they're screwing with death's design. And that includes the people who die on that ride. Okay, yeah, I can yep. buy that. I buy that. Okay, so we move away from the roller coaster. Unless we have anything more on the roller coaster scene, am I moving away too quickly from it? Uh, the Fair one enough. thing I, I would add, I just found a quote I really liked. So Ian Conrick, because I was trying to, I don't normally, by the way, ever take notes. And everyone kept asking me today, they're like, are your notes ready? And I was like, I kind of just do this like off the cuff. And they're like, really? And then I was mm-hmm. like, should I take notes? I'm Wait, just who? I didn't ask any. I didn't. I even think I said ask take notes. I oh no, not you. Like, like my friends were like, "Are you ready? Like, do you have all your notes?" And I'm like, "I don't take notes for podcasts." And they're like, "Really? Like, how do you talk about it?" And I'm like, "I watch the movie and then I keep it in my head." Um, I, I don't. I like how we I don't are know if Brian's like flexing on us yeah. or like. No, no, I'm really not. Like, I, I feel I don't like have notes either. <laughs> I was oh. like. <laughs> <laughs> I I love that we are we because we have had so many guests like we're our podcast reputation is like we have notes like we are the Tracy Flick of podcasts like we are prepared. So. I like notes. I'm a note yeah. person. Not everyone yeah. is. I appreciate people who can. Like I can mm-hmm. do it. It's something I have tried. Like trust me, it hinders me at work all the time. They'll be like, "Didn't you? Don't you remember you're supposed to do this?" I'm like, "I didn't write it down. I don't take notes." Um. But I did like research for this and I noted that, um, so Ian Conrick is a film studies scholar and he just had this quote that I really, really liked uh, because he talks about why theme park rides and horror work so well together. Mm -hmm. He says, he says, theme park rides and horror cinema are mutually influential. The former draw from the frightening aspects of the latter, while the latter draw from the theatrics and kinetics of the former. Um, And that was just like a quote that I really liked. And I Mm -hmm. realized I was like, I want more roller coaster in horror movies Mm because it's what just this and the house on haunted hill, which is the other movie BJ talked about. So Mm -hmm. BJ also loves roller coasters and horror movies. I do. There's Mm -hmm. also, there's also Hellfest, lest we forget. Yes. Yes, I love it. I am a big defender. I love that movie. Yeah. Hellfest Hellfest is a phenomenal movie. Love that movie. All right. We got to move on to the tanning salon and, Ashley and Ashlyn. Um, I have one note here and I'll turn it over because this just. Also, I just thought of Zombieland and got upset. Zombieland. Okay. Oh, <laughs> yes, you're right. Yeah. Um, I haven't seen Zombieland 2, so I don't know if there's a theme park in that one. No theme parks. No just theme a hippie commune. Just oh, a hippie commune. That's, you know, hippie communes are always disappointing. <laughs> Nothing but disappointments. Oh. The one, Christmas, the one Christmas gift I want, it's this like thing, it's a printout. It's like a painting of this really fat cat wearing like flowers in its hair and a peace sign. And it, and it, it just says like, take a bath, you dirty hippies. And I just want that for my bathroom because every time I see it, I just laugh and laugh and laugh. Treat yourself. Anyway, again, I really hope that's, that's the only thing I ask for this Christmas. 
all I've asked. Like you're really alienating your hippie audience here. People Sorry, who know me I'm know like that I am, yeah. When Jerry Garcia died, my sister and I drove around and she, we put the windows down and we're like, Jerry's dead, you fucking hippies. Like, yeah. We Good were, Lord. We were punk as fuck in our 20s. We were little shits. Um, so yeah, we'll keep that part in. I like to, you know, people think I'm this nice guy. Like I have not always been a nice person. Like, I mean, I'm not a fan either. If my hometown had a scent, it'd be patchouli. So like, oh God, would turn me like my friends in high. They like when I got into minor threat, they got into fish and they would like to drive around and smoke weed. And I'm like, this is so boring. We're not doing anything because I'm driving around our hometown while you smoke weed. Like this is not fun for me. So <laughs> anyway, all right. The tanning salon. I apologize. Tangent time there. So I have one note on this right here. It is like, if there was any doubt after the second movie that this franchise was going to lean really heavily into black comedy, the moment of doubt is removed when Ashley and Ashlyn fire up the tune Love Roller Coaster by the Ohio Players while tanning naked in the salon without even a moment's thought about like, oh shit, our friends died on a fucking roller coaster last week. Like, they are getting down, they are dancing, they are doing, like, carpool karaoke and tanning beds, and, like, the music is blaring, and it's, like, it's wonderful. It is, this like... It's, like, a very disconnected tangent, but, of course, it's making me think of the other mm -hmm. famous tanning bed scene, and then it's also making me think about how that song has a very uh, specific urban legend attached to it. Mm -hmm. um, that would be like urban legend. Knows. Urban Legend. Bloody well, Mary. so I was thinking of the tanning bed scene in Urban Legend, and then I was like, oh, the song has an Urban Legend. So it's definitely not super related. We've got a few de mm. degrees of separation here. <laughs> but like, did you guys ever hear that story about the like shriek at the beginning of that song? Yes, no. I've heard that too. So there's like familiar. an Urban Legend that there's, because there's a scream at the beginning of that song. It's like very faint in the background. And there's this like Urban Legend that it's like a real scream. It makes no sense, but the uh, woman on the cover uh, is like pouring honey or something on herself on the album cover or something like that and the urban legend is that it was like too hot and her legs got stuck to it and she was like standing up and it like peeled her skin off and she screamed and that's what you hear in the background of this track i've never heard that really i was like <laughs> nope well it happened to a friend of a friend of mine yes from <laughs> one town over i think we went to high school with them i'm not true sure true story so what do we think of this scene? Like, oh my God, this is just, it's really, it's gruesome and hysterical at the same time. And it is, it's something else. So this scene is um, why one, I don't go tanning anymore. Mm -hmm. And two, um, uh, why I stopped working at a tanning salon. <laughs> really? <laughs> because <laughs> when I was a freshman in high school into a sophomore, um, I worked at a like a salon that like cut hair and had like a tanning bed and whatever. And my job was to literally just like sweep up hair and disinfect the tanning bed in between uses. And this movie like scarred me. I was like, I no, I can't because um, I have something called levito reticularis, which means mm -hmm. that I have uh, mottled skin like mm -hmm. at all times. I'm always cold and I'm always like random shades. Like you can kind of see it on this zoom. Like I'm mm -hmm. always like sort of purple um, mm -hmm. and a way to combat that is to warm yourself. Um, and tanning is like a really popular way that people did that. So I spent my early teen years 
being a bronze goddess Mm -hmm. and then i saw this movie and went nope i guess i'm purple forever Mm -hmm. now because i'm never going back in this franchise really like every episode there's something like you know i used to do such and such a thing and then like this scene in final destination like i no longer do it anymore like Mm -hmm. it really messed people up like this really fun series like has a way of like really messing people up it, I feel it like... was go ahead go ahead i was like it just it just destroyed me and mm-hmm. also like crystal Lowe is in this scene who most people know from like black chris or black xmas and mm-hmm. then long turn two i am like a one woman fan club for her in mm-hmm. the 2000s i think she's amazing and i think a lot of the like facial work she's doing when she's dancing and has like the 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 glasses on is just so perfect and she's doing great and then watching her die made me so sad because i love her and i'm like this is one of your more brutal ways to go and now i'm Mm -hmm. bummed out yeah it is a very violent death i mean they basically catch on fire and burn to a crisp in this thing and like the way it's lit like that really harsh harsh blue light you have the kind of like point of view shot where the lamps like burst into flames but as that is going on you cut to like the um you know the desk jockey of the um tanning salon like outside on his phone and he's essentially locked out of his Mm -hmm. business by a tube of toothpaste that's very slowly (laughs) like you just see it like slowly pouring out until it locks the door because there's not enough toothpaste in it and that just tickles me is like absolutely hysterically funny what gets me about this death in particular, and I've only seen this done like really well one other time, and it's in this first Silent Hill film, mm-hmm. is that when they're burning, like they don't just like explode into flames. It's mm-hmm. like a slow burn where you're watching their bodies mm-hmm. disintegrate before they mm-hmm. finally Tracks. ignite. Mm-hmm. And that's what happens in Silent Hill when she's no. like, Lori Holden hot lesbian cop is like over the fire and you Mm -hmm. just watch her slowly like roast like a marshmallow and then catch fire Mm -hmm. so they're like trying to escape and you're like oh no you're so close and then and then they're not I think it's way scarier I think it's Ashley in particular like you see like the third degree burns on her like on her hips and on her thighs like you see the skin kind of contract in and again like we've talked a lot about these movies are really funny. There's like a lightness to them that I think a lot of the movies of this era, like Brian, you mentioned like you love like the mid two thousands, like slashers. And like, there's a meanness to those movies and you, I honestly, I don't want to say you, I forget that that meanness is in these movies as well. When you see something like that, that is so, like you said, BJ, not just that they burn, but it's so grisly and it mimics like what would happen. And you see this poor young woman's like skin, just kind of like, scrunch in it on itself because it's flying frying to like a crisp and like they're pounding on the um, glass trying to get out but it's all set off by this like the rube goldberg series of like conveniences like oh she has her like slushy drink and she leaves it and that causes something to fry and then the temperature goes up and then like because they like pulled on the um shelving like that's going to come loose and the board is going to fly at just the right angle and then the toothpaste is going to cause the door to lock and it's like you know you can't make that shit up it's just <laughs> well someone did it's true like the uh burn kill oh sorry 
Uh, the burn kill is so good because usually kills like that, you get like some sort of flickering light and then you just see a skeleton. And mm -hmm. here they were like, no, you're going to watch this happen. Yeah, that is... BJ is two for two, by the way, of jobs uh, held by people in this movie. Mm -hmm. So I yeah. will be keeping right. track for the rest of the film right. <laughs> because I'm very curious to know. I'm waiting well, for I'm... her to... Waiting for her to get to like I was like a American Revolutionary War reenactor and you know, <laughs> like I played Paul Revere in the town's bicentennial <laughs> festival. So looking forward to that. Looking I actually for the do, carnival. I do have a friend um, who is a uh, comic writer, Matt Wilding, who I think Nightmare Man is his project coming out, and I will plug that here because Matt rules. Um, he uh, like for a long time in Boston, like he was like a um, like Spirit of 76, like he did tours as like an American revolutionary. So he did like guided tours through Boston, like dressed up and like that shit is real. And man, Boston in August is humid uh, and that mood. And he was very fond of telling people, he's like, just so you know, like back in the uh, 1800s, like there were more brothels in Boston than there are Dunkin' Donuts. So he is very <laughs> fond of like sharing that anecdote on like family tours with people. So and then kids are like, mom, what's a brothel? And it's just like, talk later, you know, talk later. So, um, <laughs> Don't even safe search yeah. on. <laughs> oh, yeah, absolutely great. Um, so, and um, BJ, you mentioned like how it like smash cuts from the two coffins to, or the two tanning beds of the coffins and you have this funeral, <laughs> which is just chef kiss. And um, here's my question, McKinley. Do you think, number one, that McKinley would actually go to this funeral? And number two, wouldn't someone like punch his lights out about like five minutes or five seconds into him going on this like soliloquy uh, about the girls and like fate and all that? Like someone would just be like, fuck this and like punch him if he even went. I think that he would go specifically to make a scene because that mm -hmm. seems like his MO. Um, but I am, yes, I'm very confused why he was allowed to keep going because mm -hmm. I feel like Ashlyn or Ashley definitely has like a very rich and powerful daddy that would mm -hmm. have knocked him the fuck out. Yeah. And it's kind of like, it would be like in Pet Cemetery, like the scene where like dad knocks out Lewis at the funeral at that point, something ugly like that. Um, but he's like, no, let the kind of like shoe polish goth, uh, shoe polish haired goth kid speak, you know, like maybe he can shed some light on this horrible tragedy that it's going to scar us forever. Like, I just don't get it. This was the MySpace live journal generation. And like, mm -hmm. they knew that the screenwriters were like, we're getting this shit in there somehow. So how are we going to do it? Okay. He's going to do this very, like this speech at the funeral. And like, that's where we're going to put this in. But, but I, I mean, yeah, I don't know. Mm -hmm. I, I would just be one of the people watching and like I'd have to like do that thing where I cover my ears because mm -hmm. it's so awkward that I can't mm -hmm. watch like personally so I'd like turn away and like talk to myself I have to do that when when people do like really uncomfortable things I I can't watch like mm -hmm. the episode Scott's Tots of the office I'm just like no oh like, that's I a skip watch this yeah we yeah. just skip that one we usually just skip over that one that is too cringy yeah I, I definitely feel you there um Oh, now I'm thinking about that. And now I'm, I'm a little bit like, hey, I need a moment here. Okay, I'm back. Um, so like you mentioned, Lindsay, how this movie adds to the lore a little bit. Can you explain what's going on with like the digital camera revealing oh. death thing? I don't know if I can explain it per se. Um, 
the movies just kind of change how death reaches out or whatever whether it's death or whatever we're implying uh it is or whatever you assume it is whatever your fan theory is that is reaching out to these people via premonition and it just kind of changes up how the premonitions go like in the first one it's just very simple you died in this order and i'm gonna kill you in this order um and then the second one comes up with this whole bit about um new life tackles death and then here we've got the camera is dropping hints it's hinting at your death um so you've got a little bit more of investigation it's a little bit different um, I'm not sure if I love or hate it. I'm kind of curious everyone else thinks. I think that like they all kind of try to throw other things into the lore. Um, I feel like I say lore so much whenever I talk mm-hmm. about these movies, which is why I laugh. So I'm like, it's an interesting change to the lore. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, they do throw a different lore elements at them very often. And I think you kind of have to in a sequel to do something a bit different um, and change the game a little bit. But I don't know if it's necessarily effective within the same universe. So I'm kind of curious what everyone thinks. I love it because okay. it reminds me of Say Cheese and Die from Goosebumps. Dude, <laughs> I literally mentioned that last episode I talked about Say Cheese and Die. Yeah, go on. Yeah, like if you can make a Goosebumps connection, I'm probably going to be all in. And uh, I don't know. I think part of the reason I really like it too is it makes it feel more in line with like, I agree that the first movie, like I put that in the category of like a supernatural slasher and the second one loses all of that for me it just becomes like a disaster movie like with Mm -hmm. supernatural like overtones and this one yeah like this one comes back around because and I think part of it is the camera because it like we know it's death right but like the camera adds this effect of kind of still a mystery like they're trying to get ahead of it and solve something so like even though we lose the whodunit that became very popular with like the 90s 2000 cycle of slasher movies um like we kind of still get that here with you know kevin um kevin and wendy trying to use these context clues to figure out how they can avoid the deaths and it also adds like this kind of like interesting like theme death feel to it which is another trend that happened in a lot of like that era um i mean we saw it a lot in sorority row and especially black xmas you know which is obviously written by the same guy so uh i think we see like a lot of those things happen there and i i'm personally like that's one that's one of the reasons i love that cycle of slasher films so Mm -hmm. it totally works for me within the context of final destination too I love it because I feel like it's a great time capsule moment for the series because we're in we're in the mid aughts. So now we're in sort of peak. Let's integrate technology in any way, shape or form like this is our fear.com era. And I think that it's like, oh, we've got this digital camera and we're going to have this very stressful scene of her plugging the USB into her monitor, like whatever is going on. Um, So that's like a really fun element for me. But also I think that it really speaks to sort of the budding conspiracy culture that was Mm. coming out of social media becoming a bigger thing and online forums i mean one of the pictures that she uses to explain what she thinks is happening is a picture of the twin towers yeah and that is i think when sort of this crazy conspiracy you know everything is predetermined or whatever Mm -hmm. really sparked i think from that 
time period and now we have QAnon. So, you know, <laughs> thank you for this nation three for yeah. QAnon. Um, <laughs> oh God. But that's uh, but that's kind of what I see when it's like, well, how you know, whenever people say things like, well, how did we get here? How did this happen? I'm like, horror movies are always reflecting the fears and the anxieties that we have at any time or place. And that is a weird sort of in line, like subconscious storytelling of like conspiracy. And I'm Mm -hmm. real into it. Yeah. That's a really great way to look at it. I, I guess watching it now for the first time that didn't occur to me at all. But as soon as you pointed that out, I'm like, Oh my God. Yeah. I also (laughs) love that way too much time analyzing films like if there's one thing that I pride myself in is that I like to say that I'm a champion of like dismissed cinema and mm-hmm. I think the Final Destination films for sure especially by like horror elites mm-hmm. um, get dismissed a lot so okay. I I'm going to you know I will die on these hills to defend these movies and I will come with receipts and analyses I don't yeah. know yeah I don't know anyone that doesn't like these movies. So like, you know, every now and then we'll cover a series and it's like, why are you doing that one? It's like, oh, you got to get to it sometime. This one, like no one has given us. Everyone's like, holy shit, Final Destination, I'm in. Um, I don't know. Like, who are these? Have them, I think I think universally people think Final Destination movies are fun, but mm-hmm. I don't think that anyone's like, no, these are good. I don't like oh. when they are, they are good. Yeah, they mm-hmm. are good. Yeah, I, I, interesting. Like, I don't, maybe, maybe the horror elite just don't follow us. Maybe we live, we do live in a bubble, right? I think, like, BJ even said, like, we have, um, like, similar friends, and I think we live in a Mm -hmm. bubble because, like, even researching it, like, horror, horror critics, and Mm -hmm. I'm air quoting on uh, audio format, Mm -hmm. um, but horror critics, like, said exactly what BJ just said. They're like, yeah, it's fun, but like, there's no substance here. So I think it does get dismissed like a lot and Mm -hmm. totally right that it shouldn't. I will say I do absolutely love that they explain everything with Kevin just being like, no, I Googled it. Like, like he literally is like i googled it flight 180 and i'm like yes because 2006 was definitely the era where you were just like just like google it like that's it was when high speed internet became available to everyone you know like and that was the era of like you could go online and research anything Mm -hmm. you wanted to so i really like they don't give us you know Lindsay, you were saying in four and in two there's all this like kind of unneeded exposition and in this one they skip over it because kevin's just like no i googled it look at all this stuff Mm -hmm. and she's like oh shit okay yeah and they're letting you and they're letting you as an audience like they're taking it on faith that you've seen the others or the very least like you get the drill like you don't need us to give you like a trip you know it's not like the beginning of friday the 13th part four where there's like a seven minute recap so that they can i so love that, the previously on in the friday right? the 13th movies so right. or i shan't stand by <laughs> but i mean like they're fine but i mean like you know you're putting them in there so you can hit like a certain runtime or you know it's like when you turn on rocky 2 like they show the whole fight from rocky 1 again it's like dude it's rocky 2 like trust me i'm not seeing this one first you know like but I'm when coming... did you last see rocky 1 not everyone could marathon all the movies before seeing the newest one in theaters <laughs> I don't mean I now. <laughs> I mean before you saw too. Mm-hmm. It no, you, it's like the warm up. You know what but, I, mean? I mean? But you don't need like seven minutes. You don't need the whole fight. Do you know what I mean? Like you can do a quick little recap. I don't know. I don't know. I'm you a big don't... fan of 45 minutes of Silent Night, Deadly Night 1 being in Silent Night. <laughs> <laughs> so I can't do it. Oh. 
that would be the exception that proves the rule, though. I think that would be um, true, true, true fact. It always makes me think of like Lindsay will understand this. The Marvel in-house style forever was you have to write every issue like it's the customer's first issue, right? Mm -hmm. And so, like, I think that like this kind of actually breaks that mold a little bit. They're like, listen, like we're three in. It's 2006. The internet exists. Like you know what's going on. And Google the plot summary. (laughs) Yeah. And get to the wiki fandom and come back when you're ready. You know, when you, once you get to, you know, Google, like Alex getting hit by a brick, then we're good to go. Um, and, <laughs> yeah. and to, to um, Lindsay's point about expanding the lore, what I do like is like, these movies aren't necessarily all interconnected with one another, that you can watch them almost in any order. And like, it would make sense that the lore would be a little bit different for this group of kids because they don't really have, they don't have a connection to Alex or Clear or um, Kerr Smith and them, you know, like there's nothing that really connects them to Stifler at all. So they basically, um, you know, they basically are doing their own thing and like death doesn't necessarily have to work the same way for every single person. And I like that it can be its own thing. And it's like, no, this is, you know, this is what we're going to want to do. We're going to do it on our way, but it's not so far apart. Like you never have someone like in a grim reaper costume, like come over, like pull down someone's pants and push them over a cliff. Like it keeps to the same basic <laughs> premise of that. Yeah. And the tech thing makes sense. Like when you really get down to it, like any movie where there's technology used in horror, you have to be like, so what there weren't demons until headphones existed mm-hmm. or like until <laughs> like, you know, there's, there's so, you know, the Samara was just, trapped forever until oh no what order am i in here mm-hmm. yeah samara yeah that's the ring uh, i was like that's her, that's her english name uh <laughs> she was just trapped until tvs were invented um so yeah it kind of makes sense like if that a digital you... camera would be like a new method for this mm-hmm. uh it makes sense it checks out yeah. so it doesn't necessarily interrupt the lore of the original too absolutely i i would agree with that i think so i i you know, and I think that it, it's fun and it's different and it lets them kind of play in their own sandbox at this at this point. So um, one note I had is like this movie does and it's very conscious that they do it. There's actually a whole featurette on the Blu-ray and DVD. Like it's basically called Dead Teenager Movies, which comes from um, a phrase that like Roger Ebert came up with. He's like, oh, great. It's another dead teenager movie when he was like very dismissive of slasher films and Ebert actually sat down for this featurette uh, and he's like, look, he shared a story. He's like, I went to Bob Shea and I'm like, dude, why does new line keeps, he didn't say dude. I don't think Roger Ebert ever said like, if he reviewed dude, where's my car? He would not say dude, where's my car? He was like <laughs> the, the movie where they lose their car. He wouldn't lower himself to that. The um, movie's gentlemen, where's my car? For yes. Roger gentlemen, <laughs> gentlemen. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> amigos where's my car right now you know um basically he's like why do you keep allowing me to review these movies because you know that i'm gonna trash them like they're not for me they're not my taste and bob Shea 20 is years like, from now they're gonna look so cool on some twitter feed exactly when... but he, mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah go on. Well, what he what bob Shea told him is like dude you give my movie again sorry mr eber you give my movie a bad <laughs> review and 10,000 more kids go see it because like they don't have the same taste as you and they're like you're trashing this movie about a bunch of kids that die in a roller coaster in like really grisly gory ways fuck it that's date night right there um so 
they really break down like the tropes like you have obviously you have wendy who was your final girl you have kevin who plays like the um kind of like dickish love interest who really has a heart of gold you have like texas battle as like the jock who like you kind of hate him um you have oh crap uh frankie cheeks the horn dog basically the guy's like i just want to get laid but he's not able to because you know nobody talks like frankie cheeks in real life and i would argue the world is poorer for it but you know that's neither you've clearly never been in the dms of any woman in a male-dominated genre they do talk like this yeah i was like wait am i thinking of a different character (laughs) mike frankie is so bad that 2006 ryan knew he was bad like Back in 06, I still was like, oh, that guy's a dirtbag. Like, yeah, like, I'm really a lady is. named BJ. I get all of them. Okay. All of them. True. <laughs> True. I take many things for granted sometimes. Uh, <laughs> I would say the one time, like, I remember, like, when we went, the first time I ever went to a gay bar with a bunch of friends for a drag show, which was so much fun. I remember walking in and getting totally eye-fucked by three dudes at the bar that were, like, 20 years older than me. And I'm like, this is what it's like for, like, kids when I go to the mall, you know? Like, this is what it's like when they see me. Holy crap, I have to knock this off. This is uncomfortable. So Wait, I did learn a lesson early. I have a lot of follow-up questions that I'm not going to ask. Fair <laughs> way. You know, follow-up. It's good. It's okay. Um, What... Do I? I don't know that I wanted the answer, but like, to what are you referring about yourself at the mall with people twenty years your junior? <laughs> no, 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 no. I, was not, <laughs> I would be, and it would be like three or four years my junior, because I would have been like twenty, twenty-one at the time. Um, mm-hmm. So you know, like, it would not have been like it was not a situation where I'm in my four. As a matter of fact, I remember when I knew I was really an adult. Like my uh, ex-girlfriend, who remains one of my best friends, is a lovely woman. Um, I remember like texting her one day. I'm like, Liz, like, I know I'm an adult now because I saw a bunch of like high school young women like jogging. And instead of having impure thoughts, I was like, I hope they're being safe and they don't jog in traffic because this is a really busy street. And she was like, oh, Mike, you're lovely. Just absolutely. Oh, you know what I mean? Like, I don't know. Should I edit this part out? Like, this part <laughs> You know what? I'm going to leave you to your own devices. <laughs> I'm personally enjoying your discovery that you're a bear. Congrats. Oh, I know. I know I was a bear because I, I knew I was a bear. We used to screen uh, Richard Mark Griffin's movies in Boston. Oh, Richard Griffin movie. I love him so much. And we so had good. like... So we had like a a really lovely turnout for like the LGBT community. And uh, Tom, who was an usher there uh, at the Somerville Theater, who a lovely man and one of my friends and a bear in his own right. Like his friends are coming. I was like, dude, dude, who's hosting? Like, what's his deal? Like straight, married, has a kid, loves his wife. They're like, are you sure? You're like, yeah. Like, he's good. I'm like, all right, well, just, you know, put a word in just in case. So I always (laughs) found that really flattering. So I know. That's where we're at right now. And again, we are really learning some things about me tonight. We are really learning. <laughs> learning a lot. Like I said, it's been a, a day. Lindsay's having some regrets for agreeing. With you. <laughs> uh, anyway, it's been super fun. I've had a really great time. And... Peace out. Um, okay. So we were talking about dead teenagers, but okay. Do you feel that this movie like really like plays into the tropes of characters in a purposeful way? Is there anything that stands out in terms of like maybe more playful renditions of them? 
I kind of like that you're not immediately meant to hate the like emo punk kids. Mm-hmm. Like they're kind of annoying, but it's like, you know, I don't know. I kind of like that, that you sympathize mm-hmm. with them and that they're still friends. Cause like in my high school, like, uh, you know, the punks like didn't like hate the like jocks or popular mm-hmm. kids. Like we still all hung out together. Yeah. So I kind of mm-hmm. like that it was. Yeah, I think that like this division of, and I'm sorry if I'm over and you just cut out again, so I apologize if I'm talking over you. <laughs> I, I kind think... of like that it wasn't all of us sitting at different tables at the cafeteria that everybody still buds. Yeah, that, that was my experience at high school. Like I was like a punk kid that was in honor roll classes and wrestled, you know, and that was like not uncommon. Like there were all different groups that mix. I think like this idea that like, there's all this is a, uh, and there is like somewhat like a cast system in high school to a degree, but not to the degree that like John Hughes movies would have you right know yeah, that yeah. they were. So rotten hell John Hughes basically for whoa good lord whoa. Oh, that part um he's like kid. he was super conservative he can kind of get fucked yeah, so <laughs> all right. like I love those movies I analyze them <laughs> frequently but yeah he is a person <laughs> can kind of get fucked yeah. um. I think I'm with you in that like we definitely had clicks but there were always a handful of like the outliers where things would overlap I mean I was always like I I'm gonna rephrase this because I'm I have brain damage so I'm doing my stumble mouth thing Mm -hmm. Um, when I was in high school I always describe myself now in hindsight as like goth Tracy flick because I was goth and like punk and ridiculous but i was also in every single club imaginable and i was also mm-hmm. the co-captain of a world champion baton twirling mm-hmm. team pageants like nothing about me made any sense right. and that's kind of how a lot of the school was so i definitely had my friends that were sort of exclusively my goth friends but then i also had friends that like i twirled with so they were like very preppy and you know they were just as much my friends as the ones that matched me aesthetically mm-hmm. and i love that i think that that's like that yeah, I also I think that's great. How about you, Ryan? Um, no, I mean similar experience in high school. Like, um, I think, and I think these movies, like, I think this movie in particular, I think they do, they take the trope system that was established in the '80s and they kind of integrate it. So, it, it the the tropes still exist, but like the characters are less removed from each other. It's like mm-hmm. we still have the jock and the final girl and the goth kids and the brain or whatever, but they all hang out together. It's mm-hmm. not like they're in separate groups or they're forced together because of like yeah. whatever situation, um, you know, like a lot of the eighties movies, it's they're forced together because they're going to summer camp together or they're like stuck somewhere together. Um, but I think this kind of like integrates all of those together so that mm-hmm. it, it works. And I'd say it was, yeah, I mean, very similar. I was a very emo kid in high school Um and I still hung out with numerous people that were basketball stars or, you know, on the debate team or mm-hmm. doing drama. And I dabbled in all those and they dabbled in other things too. You know, all my friends liked Fallout Boy. So mm-hmm. like they were all a little bit emo. That's the great equalizer. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That was, that oh, was the thing. It's really what bound the nation together was Fallout Boy for years. So God bless Pete Wentz. You know, um, <laughs> I, and I like, like, you see Ashley and Ashlyn, like, they go to Wendy and they're like, do you want to come tanning with us? And they do it because, like, they want to cheer her up. You know, I actually love that so much. That is, like, one of my favorite moments of the movie yeah. and the franchise. I love it. I just love that it's, like, you really expect these girls, the, like, long, blonde women to be just, mm-hmm. like, bitches who suck. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And they're just not. And I love mm-hmm. that. 
Mm-hmm. It's just like, oh, they're just like some nice gals that are like, want to come tanning with us? Just because they like tanning doesn't mean that they're like dumb a-holes, which is what right. movies would usually have you believe. And I love how they're like, we're such nice people. When they oh. do that, they're like, oh, we're such nice I love them. I love just, them so they really it. like, I would love a spinoff of just like these two young women going yes. around and would have been a lot of fun. And like, I like, you know, Kevin and Wendy don't become like love interests with one another, which I think would have been a really cliche. Like, mm-hmm. you know, like mm-hmm. Wendy, it, you know, their friendship deepens. And she, well, we wouldn't have been friends if like it wasn't for our respective like boyfriend, girlfriend. And they go on to be like good friends, but they never hook up. There's never mm-hmm. really like a huge hint that they're going to, you know? I mean, like you think maybe they will because that's how these movies play out. But even at the end when they run into one another, he's not there to see her. Like he's there because like he was going to a football game mm-hmm. that day. Um, and that's This how- is like their trauma bonding. Like yeah. that's what, they, what they've got going on is mm-hmm. because there's even a scene after it's been established that they're you know partners have died and mm-hmm. you're like oh well i guess they're gonna be romantic leads and she's showing him the photos at her house and they're going through things and they get to the picture of his girlfriend and they mm-hmm. have that moment where like he gets to sort of mourn a little bit mm-hmm. and they discuss like yeah we're gonna be doing this forever like we're mm-hmm. this is not gonna yeah. go away and yeah. he confesses that he's gonna marry her so it's like yeah. right there like they've established like nope these are friends yeah and we're gonna keep them that way and i think yeah. that that's, i think that's great we never get that in, in teen movies I yes. do, I do appreciate that, you know, when she, he says, like, I was going to ask her to marry me like a couple weeks later that Wendy doesn't go, Ooh, honey, she was going to break up with you after prom, you know, <laughs> like would have been like so dense. <gasps> you would have just would have seen his part, like absolutely like break in his chest at that point. So, um, yeah, I mean, that's, that is what they're doing. And I like how there are completely different reactions to the trauma in this movie. You have characters like, Wendy and Kevin who are definitely feeling it and are like really in the throes of this really complicated grief in the moment. And you can tell that this is going to haunt them for a long time. And then you have your characters like um, Lewis, who's just like, nah, man, that's just the luck of the draw. He's like, my whole life is ahead of me, which it's not. I'm going to go play football and like, just leave me alone. He doesn't want anything to do with Kevin or Wendy's like, just could have no interest whatsoever, um, you know, until his head is sliced off. And a really, again, like this really like funny, but also like nerve jangling scene because there's so much like the audio in this movie is so well done. Um, and it's really amazing to hear it on a good, like decent sound system where you can hear like the rattle of the weights and these quick cuts over and over. And it just like, it definitely puts you on edge when you listen to it. I did also notice on this watch, which I don't know why it's never registered with me. So, I mean, I, I discussed earlier that this is a time capsule of 2006. And I mean that in all of the best ways and in all of the worst ways. I mean, we mm-hmm. definitely do get like that moment where they're like shooting an upskirt photo of a girl. That's mm-hmm. shitty. But again, it's 2006. That kind of behavior was like normalized and put mm-hmm. on you know TV as punchlines. Mm-hmm. But I did not know until this rewatch that when they're all working out at one point, one of these like meatheads definitely calls the Bruins the F slur. And I was like, whoa, mm. oh, didn't remember that one. But in my heart of hearts, I'm like, I don't think that that was in the script. I think they were just like, hey, mm-hmm. everyone Hulk out. And somebody was like, I'm going to call them the F slur. And I was like, yeah. whoa. <laughs> well, I'm clear clear based on the whole part two bit. If... Yeah. Yeah. What's the yeah. T- part two bit? What am I missing? Like you said, we're, uh, we're, uh, oh gosh. We're, 
uh, didn't Reddick have to like say yeah. it? Yes. Out? Yeah. Oh my God. I yeah. had a big yeah. 20 minute spiel on that. You're right. Yeah. Yeah. This is the time where like there's still like homophobia is played for laughs and it's not mm-hmm. played for laughs against like, look at these stupid homophobes. Like, what the fuck is wrong with them? It's like punch down for humor. Yeah. That is yeah. still still a thing. I mean, we're only three years removed at this point from Ker- Kelly Rowland having one of the most infamous kind of. Oh, that's why and... I wear Freddy Krueger sweaters to Christmas parties because she made it canon for me. So, yeah. yeah. So, <laughs> I love that reclaiming. Um... I wore it. We had a, a gift exchange this weekend with uh, some friends, and my Zoom background was Kelly Rowland doing like the point at mm-hmm. Freddy Krueger, and I wore my Freddy Krueger sweater. And I slowly watched people put the pieces together of why I was wearing it. And they're like, oh, that's really <laughs> funny. And I'm like, you're welcome. Right. Love it. <laughs> Okay, I want to ask. So this is the this movie ends with another vision and a really, really clever twist and a really <sighs> mean twist to this one where we get all the way through this movie and like so many movies of this era, one of the things I really appreciate it, and I'll always go on this on this tangent. I love that there's not a final girl. Once Scream hits, there is a final group. Um, so you don't have this like I survived but everyone around me is dead like that's just fucking depressing Um, here you have a final group and I think in one of the best but saddest endings of any movie of this era it's taken away from them what do we think of this second kind of vision that ends the movie oh man it like made me gasp and you kind of see it coming but then you even though you see it coming, you also don't. And it just makes you like gasp. And then your whole body, like, I don't know, my whole body was just shrieking. Like I'm, you almost are like starting to feel what they're feeling in that moment of like, mm-hmm. Oh no. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It definitely was the most panicked. I was the whole movie. Yeah. Right. Like, because we get all the way through and we've seen two final destination movies and we're horror fans. So we know no one really gets out alive uh, in a lot of these situations. And, but to throw in the second vision and then just have it come back. And it's like, it's almost like whatever is giving her these visions is just running out of batteries. Cause it was like, oh shit, dog, I couldn't get this vision to you fast enough because like now you're, you're literally like 30 seconds away from this thing happening. And like, we just don't have enough time. And it's, it is like kind of heartbreaking. Like, and there's a whole part too where, you know, she sees just, and her sister's doing exactly what I do where like she logics things away she's like don't worry about it it still have to go through me and Kevin and mm-hmm. then you look down the train and you're like oh shit this is bad like we know mm-hmm. where this is going and uh, like it's just an inevitable uh, yeah. like demise and it's it's hard to watch uh, it really you, is you it just is seen that- them avoid it all it is that stacking thing because when she's on the train and we've got the guy playing, there's someone, you know, walking behind you. You're like mm-hmm. immediately like that red flag goes off of like, you're oh, no, right away, yeah. she's going to die. And then those fucking Bruins, uh, you know, block mm-hmm. her from getting off the train and she gets the sister and you're like, oh, no, she and her sister are going to mm-hmm. die and these nice roommates she has. <sighs> and then when you see Kevin, it's like, no, like it right. keeps getting worse. It's like it, it's one of those moments where like, well, okay. Can't get worse, can it? And it's like it can, and it will, and mm-hmm. we are. And I think, and I love heart. your read on it that death was, or whatever's giving her the visions, is getting tired because I mm-hmm. read it much more that it was like, 
LOL, bitch, you thought you survived? I'm going to give you a really horrible, horrific vision, like, right, Mm -hmm. right before it kills you. Yeah, same. I thought... Well, Tony Todd's on that train. Like, he's he's the voice. (laughs) So, there you go. (laughs) There's your sign. Bloodworth is... That's, you know, that's a theory. Bloodworth's throwing the visions around, and he's like, hey, check this out. It makes it a little more heartbreaking because her when she sees her sister and she mm-hmm. says it's really like i think like wendy could like well if i'm gonna die it happens nothing that's a good thing but i think when she sees her sister and she's like all i want to do is like protect her and that she knows that she can't um really fun fact the original ending or planned ending for this movie was very much the same except the two roommates were going to be uh, Officer Burke and Kimberly from part two were going to be like her friends from school at that point. And that was going to be a way to tie the second one to the third one. And they couldn't get the actors back. Um, I kind of like that they don't tie it in together in that way, that you keep mm-hmm. the movies like further apart from one another. But that is kind of a cool little like, oh, let's like, because you could see like, think of the end of part five, like in one of the really when we get to it, I think we'll really have fun talking about the shock ending of that movie mm-hmm. and how well done that it is because that came out of nowhere. I think that you could have had like a similar thing. I almost like that you wait five movies, like two more movies, so you really play that card. Um, yeah. So, and this like, again, like the way like they, they spare no uh, gory detail, like it's a full-blown vision every bit is like massive in scale and scope and um, level of horror that the opening scenes are. And I think the really wonderful thing there is like you're conditioned after the first two movies to expect like something is going to happen. There's going to be some sort of shock ending, but your, your brain is conditioned like for like a jump scare or something that's going to be quick and nasty and then smash cut to credits. I don't think you're prepared for like a five minute really brutal scene where these three characters that you followed for 90 minutes are going to have this shitty thing happen, especially when the whole thing like cuts back to Wendy's eye and you know that she knows that this is what's coming and you can't stop it. Yeah, it's way worse than just them all getting on the train. Like, they all get on the train and you're like, oh God, they're all going to die on this train. And that's really scary. But then the movie's like, oh, you thought that was scary? She just witnessed that in her mind and mm-hmm. we're going to make you do it again. And that's 10 times scarier. Mm-hmm. And then uh, it's 10 times scarier. It feels like she can't, you know, anyway, way scarier. But then there's also the theory that she's trapped in a loop, which mm-hmm. I'm curious your thoughts on that. What I never thought that, but I've heard that a lot. What is this? Could you go into a little more? It's very, it's honestly as simple as that, that the vision is actually it happening. And then she just keeps reliving it in this like weird form of hell where like, it's going to happen every time it's a vision before it happens again. Wow. That just like really depressed me. Yeah. I (laughs) I hate that theory. I like, I don't buy it, but I heard it and I was like, oh damn. And when I say I hate it, I don't mean because it's a bad theory because I'm just like, oh no. It's a mean theory. It's a theory. Does she have a different death every time or is it always on the train so i only heard it briefly and it was that it was like the same thing like she's just trapped in a loop of that moment over and over again oh god that's horrible yeah truly awful no that's terrible um i'm I'm gonna say i don't subscribe to that because it makes me sad 
So, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Fair. Yeah, so, I don't describe to it because I want Mary Elizabeth Winston to have good things. Yeah. Yes. It's, again, like, I think we were saying hunters. off air, like we were saying off, that's right. Like she's in, was it Arrow or no, Birds of Prey? Yeah. yeah. Okay, Birds of Prey where she's the huntress, but she's had this like l- low-key like horror heroine career. Like she's a lead in the thing. She's a lead in, lead in 10 Cloverfield Lane. She appears in Black Christmas. She appears in Rings uh, or... Um, so she's done like all this genre work. We know her from, I think, Scott Pilgrim versus the world as well. Mm-hmm. She's also um, super villain in Sky High, let's not forget. Mm-hmm. Yes. So like, <laughs> you know, but she doesn't immediately jump out as someone that you think of when you think of like horror movies right away. But she's been in like a ton of and is always done like even in like oh, she's in Abraham Lincoln Vampire Hunters, Abraham Lincoln's wife. Um, you don't necessarily think of her um when you think of like horror heroines and like um, really famous actresses that have done like a ton of genre work, at least like I don't, and maybe like people can tell me in the, in, on Twitter or on Facebook, like, no, nah, you're off. Like she's right at the forefront. Um, but she's had this really varied and fun career doing a lot of movies like this. Her and Sarah Paxton get overlooked far too mm-hmm. often. That's um, great. That's great. Um, horror. That's um, so what else do we have in Final Destination 3? Is there anything that I'm missing before we get to listener feedback? Oh, I was just going to say I'm really excited to answer some questions. Okay. I was going to be like, let's go there. <laughs> but I don't know. I think I'm looking at the questions that came my way. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the first one I have is from uh, JD. I don't know how to say your last name, JD. Um, JD Gravat. Gravat? Mm-hmm. I don't know how to say it. Um, and I think BJ actually answered this earlier. When Wendy has her vision, the perv kid dropping his camera sets off the chain of events that crashes the coaster. Since he gets off, why does it still crash? And I think, yeah, BJ, you answered that before that they were still broken things. Um, and then Jenny Nolf, uh, old Jenny Lee X33, wants to know why is this the best one? I think we covered that one. <laughs> probably another one we also answered. We should probably start so. from the beginning and we'll cover why this is, you know. <laughs> so let's, from the, the first far. day, let there be you know, you know why this one does stand out a little more to me watching them again is I, I, I do really like that it, the most to me out of all five, it's the most feels like that phase in your teenage years where you think you're immortal like where nothing can touch you and like mm-hmm. you're gonna live forever and like even texas yeah. battle has that whole scene in the gym where he's like like just talking about how strong he is and how he's never gonna die mm-hmm. and i think this one captures that the most and like even like watching you know the first one suffers from like that teen drama aspect of like you know everyone in it is 30 and so mm-hmm. like it's hard that connection and then also like my school is way too poor to ever go to France. So I'm like, I never did that. Like teenagers mm-hmm. don't go to France for high school. Um, and then two gets away from it. But this one with the whole setting, like I, I think that really resonated with me, especially at the time as a teenager. So I think that boosts it is that whole, mm-hmm. that whole idea of like teens are going to live forever. And it's like, no, you're not. Um, and like, no matter what you do, like it doesn't matter what you're going to like, how many times you skip it. Like, it's coming back to you. And yeah. So I, I, I always really like that. That makes sense. I think now, like, you would root against kids. Like, if you, oh, high school, a bunch of kids go into France, like, a bunch of fucking rich kids. I hope that plane crashes, you know? <laughs> that's, <laughs> that's a big part of why I like this as well, because I think looking at two, four, and five, we are dealing with either 
all adults or like a combination of ages and there are mm-hmm. definitely characters in all three of those movies that i can't wait for them to die yeah because they just suck like every something about mm-hmm. them just bothers me and i want them to die whereas in one in three because they are these teens the problems that i have with them as people like even even frankie cheeks I can at least write off a little bit of like, well, you're dumb and you're young Mm -hmm. and you don't know any better. Whereas in the other installments, if the adults suck, it's like, they just suck. Like they, this is who they have decided they are as a person. Mm -hmm. They are long past discovering themselves in college. They've decided to be a shitty person. This is it. Uh, This is the choices I've made. Exactly. So with, with three, I don't want to watch any of them die and I feel Mm -hmm. really bad for them. And I also think that this one has our strongest, right. um, it has our strongest lead that we're following through since since Devin Sawa as Alex Browning, mm-hmm. because yeah. everyone else I think really they don't really go there, but Alex and um, and Wendy are both letting you know how hard this is for them. Yes, yeah. I mean, part four is just filled with like the fuck your feelings crowd. Like mm-hmm. that's who that's who dies in part four. It's like a bunch of people that literally would wear shirts that say fuck your feelings so why am i sad you know like mm-hmm. i mean yes that makes me a horrible person but i don't know who are they all right um I mean, next it's fun to root for death yeah sometimes it is fun to root for death so it's this like next through the next question i have is for, and i think we did answer this but i love to acknowledge our listeners because that's really cool that they would take a moment to uh, answer in from a uh, username carl timothy um over on twitter we have did any of the viewers have the old school dvd choose their fate and is it fun yes and yes (laughs) ryan did we did cover that yeah and it is on the blu-ray for folks to get the blu-ray it's basically all those features are imported over i feel like i gotta invest in these i like don't have them and i want to watch them 500 more times it's 15 bucks if i remember correctly it was 15 the only drawback to it is it's like one of those ones where they put four discs in two slots so like they literally don't even give you the one where they stack one disc slightly askew from the other it's basically no we're just going to press it down my Uh, dvd (laughs) collection would stress like all of like you know how there's like all like we all like that thing that would get us like kicked out of film twitter Mm -hmm. and mine is like how much i like i care about physical media but like I don't care about it, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Like, if you can buy it for $2 used in, like, the worst definition and, like, mm-hmm. the old ratio, I'm, like, sick. I'm here. Like, when new oh, um, when new box sets come out and everyone gets excited, my hype is, like, oh, man, my used DVD store is going to fill up with all your oldies. Mm-hmm. Like, that's me. Yep, I'm right there with you. Like, <laughs> yeah. this, all of the spines on my, like, <sighs> bookshelf all have, like, the dollar sticker from the exchange. <laughs> you see oh my god this is great news um, i've been in this alone greg yeah greg Mucci like was like gasping when i was talking about my collection and a lot of my box sets including my box set for saw they come like loose like the dvds aren't even on a peg they're just like loose in the box mm-hmm. <laughs> so that doesn't trust me at all at one point with my dvd collection i started to rip all of them to uh, uh nas drive so I could stream them over Roku throughout the house. And I just threw out all the covers and put them in slip covers. And they That's now smart. sit, literally sit in a milk crate in no particular order. And every now and then I'm like, oh, I need to break out like um, 
high tension because we're going to cover that for French Extremity Month soon. Let me flip through, like, let me grab, like, fistfuls of DVDs and slipcovers until I eventually find a one that I know is in here somewhere. So, yeah. It's organized chaos. That's it fine. really yeah. is. I just, like, uh, give up a lot of square footage mm-hmm. <laughs> for cases on shelves. Excellent. So from Alan Dorich, who is username What Alan Watches, uh, does anyone else? Does anyone else on your panel think "fuck you, Benjamin Franklin" is the most memorable <laughs> line in the film? I love that line. <laughs> yes. Great line. Yeah, and I, yeah. You know, we we didn't talk much about the finale before the finale, but I think oh, yeah. that's the best of the series. It's really the only one that really grazed over that, that like massive <laughs> bloodbath. <laughs> <laughs> I have like two points of that that I love, which is the like who is sitting behind you in the roller coaster and this girl who we've never seen and never met stands up mm-hmm. and realizes and then dies immediately. Yes. Right. <laughs> love right. that for us. The only thing that could have made it better, she was wearing a red shirt. That's the only thing. Like, oh, it it's so funny. Mm-hmm. Um, but I fully have to admit that I quote Ian, I'm not dying in real mm-hmm. life all the time Mm -hmm. because it is just so bombastic and it's like like what ryan was saying it is so like i'm an invincible teen Mm -hmm. and then he just immediately gets smushed so yeah fuck you better franklin is great but you think ian and timmy are in hell somewhere being like how did you get smushed like a pancake like again (laughs) also like did you guys notice how many fucking swords exist around these people? And there are, oh, people are getting like stabbed by swords and like all kinds of stabbing weapons. <laughs> they were like everywhere. There were like Sultan swords at the thing. I like the fact that there were Sultan swords at the carnival and then also at his high school. I'm like, I have never seen swords of that manner that close together ever in my life, except no. watching Aladdin back to back with like a sequel. And like how, that's how just... strong are those swords in the gym? Yes. Because they're cutting through the rope to a weight, which mm-hmm. those are like metal, like scary barbed wire yeah. things. Like that is the mm-hmm. sharpest knife in the world. Right. Yeah. And that's like I, on display in a high school gym. I don't. <laughs> I don't think you would necessarily like get a, enough like momentum and velocity from those swords because they're not falling from a great height. Like they're just no. moving like basically twelve inches. Like they would really just bump up against that cable, and that's it. But again, I mean, they would ding and fall off. But like, also tanning beds don't go up to infinity. So you know, let's not <laughs> <laughs> let's not question. Yeah, the fact that Amanda Crew doesn't have like massive rope burns, she literally walks away from that horse giving her whiplash like, Mm -hmm. ow. (laughs) Like, okay. Gonna sting a little bit. Gonna sting a little. I shrieked when Amanda Crew showed up. She's so wonderful. I love Sex Drive. Um, Is that problematic? I don't know. Is that movie problematic? No, No, because it's totally fucking awesomeness.com backslash we rule. So. That kicking the garage moment is one of the funny, like I will watch that for a laugh, like randomly. I'll be like, you know what? I could use some cheering up. Uh, (laughs) And just saying, Fall Out Boy is also in that movie. So, you know, again, the great I don't know if I've ever, as an an emo kid, this is going to sound shocking. I don't think I've ever listened to Fall Out Boy. (gasps) Oh, my heart. Like, like, like I have a Fall Out Boy tattoo. Like yeah, you gotta you I, gotta get on this. I think next year I'm gonna get my first oh my first tattoo period. I'm gonna get Jawbreaker uh, when it pains it roars. Um, 
which is like the Morton Salt Girl, the Jawbreaker logo, and then when it pains, it roars. Um, but yeah, like so at some point, I'm just like, no, I'm good. Like it's somewhere around 2005, I'm like, I've heard all the new music I ever want to hear, um, you know, and then like, I'm good. But then there were the Ergs and um, Iron Sheik and Get Bent. But yeah, I have like this mid 2000s period where I'm like, Meh. my Spotify wrapped has been exactly the same for like 10 years running. Oh yeah. So like, yep. I can relate. Only mine are it, mine is much worse. <laughs> my my there was not a song past 2007 in my two in my year end wrapped for top 100 songs. It's like 1993 coming right up, you know. And it's but hey, you know. My number one like. was Husavik from the Eurovision movie, and I have no shame about it. That's, my like so the. The first time, like my Spotify wrapped has been the exact same every single year. And mm-hmm. I like always think that I'm like, that's impossible, but it is every single time. Except mm-hmm. this year, my most listened to album for the first time was something different. And it was the Birds of Prey soundtrack. Lovely. Yeah. <laughs> my number like, one oh, song good for me. was, uh, my number one song was Sam I Am's Don't Break Me, which is a like great mm-hmm. from the album, Billy. My number two was a um, cover of Pretty in Pink by the Pink Lincolns, which is a super rare track on a seven inch that is now streaming i love their cover of it Lindsay, i'm surprised spotify just doesn't send you like a video of eminem being like yo thank you for supporting me <laughs> yeah <laughs> this year i wasn't in his top one percent and i was like wow okay Lindsay, that's wow it's a really big change fallen. for you you listen to a couple new songs it's like a big <laughs> yeah. eminem is very disappointed okay <laughs> He got to the end of the year and he's like, wait, where's Lindsay? Stan letter from Slim being like, thank Mm -hmm. you so much Uh, for being my biggest fan. So we have uh, from Johnny Donaldson at Johnny Donaldson. uh, We have, what do you think of the photo gimmick? We thought it was cool. And should it have been a constant throughout the franchise or something similar to that effect? Um, I like that every movie has its own thing. I do think that like I love that, you know, you can do something like that and it's enjoyable. But yeah, it was good. It worked here. Yeah, I think it was like we were talking about the evolution of the technology and how that matters. Mm-hmm. And obviously in part five, mm-hmm. they couldn't go all well, spoilers for those who haven't seen it, but it's like, what, 10 years old now? Um, but uh, yeah, I have a couple of questions specifically for Ryan and B. That I like from... that just stayed in one movie. Ooh, I cut over you there. I'm sorry. Oh, no, that's OK. Uh, I like that it stayed in one movie. Same. Yeah, I agree. So looking forward to editing this episode. <laughs> <laughs> You're gonna have a lot of like monologues of me yeah. to, to remove. Hey everybody, let's record our own track this time. That would be fun. <laughs> I have time. <laughs> Fuck me. Um, Sorry to dance. Let's make it sound like a real show. Um, all right, from friend of the show, uh, Danny Rat at Danny Rat. This one is specifically for Ryan and BJ. Ask Ryan and BJ how they manage to be so wonderful. Uh, um, I also, I just whoa. look at what BJ does and do my best to do that. So that's it. Oh well, my secret's that I pay everyone to like me. So like, that's why that I'm works. so poor. I'm out of money from trying to convince everyone that uh, I should be liked. No, that's very sweet. Thank you, Danny. <laughs> yeah, thank you, Danny. She has another question. She has a real question, but that was a real question. Um, <laughs> let's see. Oh, so we did talk about the tanning room, but. Uh, she would. Danny says, "I would love to hear them address the tanning room death and how it's the first time the series really gets salacious instead of just gory." Oh, because there's titties. All, yeah, two has the flashing scene. Mm-hmm. 
Um, so that's, I even rewatching, I was like, oh, three is the one with like the nudity, right? And then when no. two happens, there's flashing. And I was like, oh, okay. And I thought it's interesting in three, too, that like they do throw in that line of like, why are you still wearing your underwear? And she's like, mm. he likes tan lines. And I think they literally did that for a camera angle perspective so that they could explain why she's wearing underwear when they do the mm-hmm. teeny booth angle. Um, but I mean, outside of that, I have no comments on what, like, the salaciousness. Mm-hmm. Um, it's very 2006. I will say mm-hmm. that. It's my favorite type of nudity in film in that it's nudity that isn't trying like there's no inherent sexuality to it i mean she has the comment about the tan lines but mostly like these are just two girls having fun listening to music and they just happen to not have like their shirt on which is honestly kind of how i live my life like i put clothes Mm -hmm. on for this because i knew that i would see people but Mm -hmm. ultimately like i'm just playing animal crossing with my tits out all day and it's the best Mm -hmm. so i this is my favorite nudity just having fun living your life not really giving a shit Mm -hmm. And if somebody finds this like salacious, then that's on them. Right. But this is not presentational to anyone else. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't think the camera ever like lingers, which is um, very different. You know, it's you can tell that the hands um, like it's in very different hands than Glenn Morgan's Black Xmas, which, you know, ends up over with the Weinsteins mm-hmm. and feels like a very different movie because of that, um, because of their their handling of that film. And so I think like you can see the difference in um, filmmakers, literally like the same exact filmmaker um, from one movie to another and like the production. And some of the same actors. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I would agree with all that. I don't really have much to add um, with that. I think it was pretty much all well said there. It's like, it is like the first time you get like an extended nudity scene in one of these movies like i'm on the record like a lot of times with horror movies by this era like there's not like ryan you would said like with the advent of high-speed cable like kids or teenagers were getting their nudity fix elsewhere so was it like we need to have it in our movies now plus you were getting a higher caliber of performer usually that's like i'm on a kid's show i'm on a dc com um so like i can't be sure i god i love that now that i know what the phrase is like i just want to use it all day long how do i sneak it into everyday jargon um you know i just like it's like i can't do that because i'm on these movies um not a question but a comment from our friend nicole gobel who is uh whose second episode of bodies in horror her podcast just came out so Highly recommend you give that a listen to on the Anatomy of a Scream podcast network. Her comment was, I'd say the tanning booth scene and gym- the gymnastics routine scene are such standouts of the franchise strengths. And I would say that we both agree with you. All agree yeah. with you because there's four of us. I could be wrong. Do anyone disagree? Yeah. Someone could say, I certainly disagree. No. <laughs> I do think the nail gun scene in this is very good. Mm-hmm. Um, like I, I, the brutality of it, I think is pretty magnificent. Um, mm-hmm. and it gets overlooked because of the tanning booth. It's nowhere near as extravagant, but like mm-hmm. it is to me, it's probably one of the more like just straight up brutal ones. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I agree that I, I mean, whenever I think of these movies, it's tanning booth, um, the gymnastic scene and usually the, the opening sequence of two. No, absolutely. I would yeah. agree. Last one from uh, on our Facebook page, uh, which you can go to like facebook.com groups pod and the pendulum and you'll find us there. It's a really nice little group of folks that are sharing their love for horror. And I'm usually trying to put like, 
hey, here's a different podcast you should listen to every day because like there are so many good ones. Michael from Michael Forth. This is my favorite entry in the series as a huge fan of roller coasters. Me too, Mike. I love the opening scene. To this day, whenever I use a tanning bed, I have to make sure there's nothing near the bed that can lodge me inside. Irrational, <laughs> yes, but my death isn't going to burn my pasty ass to death. <laughs> love it. Do people still use tanning booths? Is that like gone? Oh, yeah. Now? Okay. I think it's as trendy, but oh yeah. Mm -hmm. Definitely right. still a thing. I think people have started moving over a little bit more to spray tan mm -hmm. than the tanning bed just because, you know, we we're finally accepting that skin cancer is real. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So now is the point in our show where we shamelessly plug ourselves. So Ryan, I believe today you've announced that you've accepted some pitches for We Are Horror. Mm. Yes. Like, tell our listeners the various projects you have going on. Oh boy. Um, okay. So, I mean, you can find all my stuff. If you look me up on Twitter at Rand Larson, I, I link it all in my bio there. So I have my column over at bloody disgusting that examines movies from the two thousands. It's called you ought to know. I came up with the pun before I came up with the concept. I was just like, this is too clever to let go to waste. Um, and then ran with it. And then I still do all of my own writing over at Ghastly Grinning. And now I've jumped on over at Consequence of Sound and I got to cover Beyond Fest there, which was a blast. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, my main, like most of my focus goes into We Are Horror, um, which is a zine that I started with Tyler Liston, who was writing for Nightmare on Film Street and um, Hot Creek Horror. Um, and We Are Horror focuses on boosting marginalized voices in the horror scene. Um, and it's completely nonprofit. Every dollar we make goes back into the writers. Um, we are very, like, we are completely patron funded. Um, it's been amazing. Uh, horror fans are the best and truly incredible people that in the midst of a pandemic, when everyone is hurting for money, that we have enough to be able to pay our writers comparable rates. Um, everyone has been so generous and amazing that we've been able to up our rates even amidst all this. Um, so every writer makes $100 an article um, and they do come out. It's, um, there's like, there'll be four a year. Um, and so February is uh, Love and Obsession. Um, and so you can become patrons four bucks, uh, eight bucks to get like all the patron um, like columns. BJ actually was a columnist for us for the, for the whole first run there. Um, so you can find all of her columns over there if you sign up for the $8 tier. Um, and we did also announce like, uh, we got some really fun stuff coming next year. We're really trying to expand and make it really worth like your like worth your dollar. We're not ever going to raise how much we ask from people. Um, our goal is to just get more patrons so we can pay our people more. Um, but we are going to be doing some Patreon exclusive podcasts. Um, the first one will be actually me and your uh, former uh, guest host, Greg Mucci um, and um, Kate Sanchez um, doing an Are You Afraid of the Dark episode. Uh, by episode, uh, which <laughs> BJ's also going to be on. <laughs> um, Canada. Canada. Yeah. Um, yeah. So that, up. yeah, that is the first um, podcast that we have announced, but we're also looking, we really want to do more again to bring a spotlight to um, diversity and inclusion and marginalized voices. And I took a big um, page out of Salem, what they did this year with their roundtables and discussions. Um, and, you know, like 
I'm excited that I get to do a podcast, but I'm also like a cis white male and like, we don't need my voice that much more in the world. So I would rather be able to do things with more intersectionality. And that's something we're really focused on. So we're going to be creating a, a YouTube channel and doing like roundtables and discussions with horror creators and journalists mm-hmm. um, about specifically those um, marginalized areas of horror. And again, um, everyth- everyone is paid for everything they do. Um, no one works on the, the only people who work on it and don't get paid are me and Tyler. Um, mm-hmm. And that is something we decided was we don't want the money. We wanted to go to everyone else. Um, so even the people who come on for like roundtables and discussions will all be paid um, for their time and for their thought and consideration. So um, yeah, just check check that out. That's really all you know, like my, that's my big, the big thing I like to push. And, you know, um, really again, like I like to, oh, we, we launched a merch store and um, all that money goes towards the writers too. And also every single item sold, we mm-hmm. came to terms with the artists of those pieces. And they also get a commission on all of those pieces um, that was agreed upon by them. So we wanted to make sure that like, we didn't buy those pieces out from them. They're getting um, paid for every single article of clothing that we sell. So excellent. Um, yeah, that's that's really just my big one. Go check that out if you can, because it's been really, truly incredible to uh, see one, the horror community really come together to um, push for something like this. Um, I thought I was going to have to pay out of pocket at first, which I would have. We wouldn't have been able to do what we've been doing, though, mm-hmm. if it was out of pocket. Um, so just the, the horror patrons are amazing people and the writers that we've had and the people who have contributed are just absolutely stunning. Every issue that we've put out, um, I cry, <laughs> um, when I read at least a couple of the pieces and I just can't believe like the heart and passion and soul that mm-hmm. goes into this genre. So I just really encourage you guys to check that out. Um, patreon.com slash we are horror. Excellent. Excellent. And I'm a proud Patreon of that project and i can attest that the writing there is absolutely top notch and it's a absolutely wonderful project from start to finish with some really talented people um like you said with the podcast like what we think we've always tried to do here is include um because as i started the show like cis straight white dude started with another cis straight white dude and it was really important to us from day one to have is be as inclusive as possible and have as many diverse voices as possible uh, on, but also like really, and we're very blessed in the horror community. There are almost too many to choose from um, because there are just so many people doing incredible work uh, in so many aspects of the genre right now. And what are those persons I'm going to ask next? Brittany. Yes. I always love that, like, because you, you've known me for, you know, about a decade now. So you 11 actually, years, you actually know what BJ stands for, mm-hmm. which is great. Like most people are like, who, who is that? Mm-hmm. I don't, I don't know her. And I'd be like, it's Brittany, bitch. And then, you know, <laughs> <laughs> so. Um, so everything that I do as far as writing is always like the home base for that is on my Twitter. And it's just my name at BJ Colangelo. Um, I tend to write a lot of listicles for what to watch as well, as well as do the, uh, the, the recaps of the top movies on Netflix. Those are kind of my bag. Um, I recently just did uh, six different Christmas lists for them. I watched all of the Christmas movies so that you don't have to. Um, but the two big things that I really, really want to push is uh, I, as was said at the top of the show, I co-host a podcast with my wife, Harmony called This Ends at Prom, where we analyze probably the 
only other genre that is as looked down upon by the general film public as horror movies, which is movies meant for teen girls and teen girl cinema. Um, so we analyze them from the lens of my perspective, which is somebody who loves all of these films and then introducing them to my wife who is transgender and did not see any of these films growing up mm -hmm. because she was socialized as a teen boy. So it's a lot of fun. And for our special Christmas Eve episode, we sat down with April Wolf and Sophia to call to talk about Black Christmas 2019, mm -hmm. um, both as a film and then also as uh, sort of the social uprising and backlash mm -hmm. that happened upon its release. And um, it, it really does kind of hold the heart of what that podcast is, is mm -hmm. about. So um, I really hope that people check that one out because I'm, mm -hmm. I'm really proud of the conversation that's had because it's intense, but it's, it's oh. I think, a very important one to have. Will um, commit. Cannot wait. And then the uh, the other thing that I want to plug, it's not going to be out until February, but I don't care. Um, mm -hmm. I wrote a couple episodes and helped co-produce a series called So Far So Close that will be on Deku, which is a streaming service. I explained to a lot of horror people, it's like it's like Shudder, but if everything was for gay men. Um, mm -hmm. So that's what Deku is. And they're the series I wrote alongside with uh, Brandon Kirby and Michael Verratti. Mm -hmm. And it was shot completely in, in quarantine from safe distances. Our cast covers, you know, different countries. Um, and it's all about uh, queer people, queer relationships, how people have like interact with one another in the different ways that screens have become a part of our lives. And uh, it's not horror, which is really weird, but mm -hmm. it's cool to be like, holy shit, I wrote on a series. Um, so I want people to check that out. And then also if you uh, have two and a half hours to kill, I have a segment in December. If you uh, have the US release, I'm day nine. If you mm -hmm. have any other release, I'm after the credits because of a whole mess I don't want to get into. But I'm mm -hmm. very proud of uh, the segment that I co-directed. It's called uh, They Used to Laugh and Call Him Names and it has to deal with the killer reindeer. So check it out. Absolutely forward to that thank Very you so cool. much and obviously you know the door is open for both of you whenever you want to jump on you just say it and we will have you on so you take over the show you're like you're out mike sorry <laughs> take it over you know like all right guess i'm out you know Lindsay. uh bj can't leave until we address how she changed my life because after final destination five i was like oh turns out Final Destination 5 is my favorite movie. And then my favorite part is Miles Fisher accidentally doing a Tom Cruise impression. And VJ replied to my tweet very generously and graciously with a music video uh, from our good friend Miles Fisher, uh, who plays Peter in Final Destination 5, that I literally watched, like, you know, I, I can't describe the light that must have been beaming from my face throughout this entire video. And I had this like, how have I gone so far in my life having not seen this? And the, now I have to live on having seen it. And I just, I've changed. Um, all of you <laughs> will link it somewhere below, but uh, credit to BJ for bringing that to my life. Um, and I couldn't not mention it in this uh, Final Destination episode. Miles Fisher's got, he's got a couple of really amazing horror music videos. He has- yeah. His American Psycho one, which <laughs> when it came out, Brett Easton Ellis was like, if anybody ever remakes this movie, he's the only one who gets to play it, which I thought was really funny. Um, but then he has his final destination, Saved by the Bell, which is just incredible. And then he also has an 80s dance off with a spontaneous cameo from Lance Bass. It's wonderful. There you go. So good. I also like after you sent me that, I was like, this guy actually looks more familiar than I thought. And then I looked, I was already following him on Instagram. <laughs> and then it took me like a few full days to figure out why 
I was following him on Instagram or not even him, his coffee company. And I like, couldn't figure out what had happened in my leg such that I was already following Miles Fisher's coffee company on Instagram. <laughs> but it's because he did this Tom Cruise bit uh, early in 2020, which of course everyone sent to me. And I guess I didn't follow him after that. It must've like, whoever sent it to me, it must've like been tagged to his coffee brand. And I had been following it this entire time. But anyway. Now he takes a lot of pictures in pastel sweaters with his cute family. It's a lot less exciting than horror music videos, but <laughs> you should let him know that your family is so much less exciting than your videos. <laughs> Dump, yeah. Your the sweaters are cute. No, are you crazy? I'm trying to get him to come on the episode, so we're not going to. Uh... Okay. <laughs> we're not going to insult my favorite actor, Miles Fisher. <laughs> Do you have anything you wish to plug? Um. Just Miles Fisher. <laughs> well that didn't come out right oh my goodness that Uh, was um those are words you said i just want you to know that (laughs) (laughs) wow right uh yep air went out of the room yeah not pictured uh the collective blushing of these two co-hosts um no no yeah sure why not check out the episodes i did of uh, horror careers and search was really um, exciting. A few things. Keep your eyes on uh, where BJ and I show up sometimes. What to watch. We'll have some of our year-end lists I mm-hmm. that uh, are roundups, which are very exciting and could be changing day. Um, and yeah, find me on the internet, Twitter, uh, Smash Travis, S M A S H T R E V E S, and I will tell you where else I am. Excellent. Lindsay, I think your horror queers episode was like one of my favorite things. Ever, so it. good. Yeah, yeah, thank you. That's so nice. It's um, fun to talk about Batman. Uh, Bat- even listening to episode two of the Final Destination and you got into the whole Batman thing, I was like, mm-hmm. oh yeah. And and then like when you guys got back to Final Destination, I was like, shit. And I was like, someone needs oh. to pay her to just do a Batman podcast because I, I want to listen to that. I have like one like in my head that I'll never do because I don't have the um, gall that like I've got like it's like named Brandon. I've got my theme song, the whole shebang. But anytime I talk about Batman on the internet, like everybody's like, oh, don't you get like so much hate when you say like, stuff about like feminism and and I'm like no literally never but if I'm like Dick Grayson has a nice (laughs) which he does I mean let's face it he does Dick Grayson is a phenomenal ass um how is the how is the new Nightwing like that just launched right it's not out yet unless it is and I just haven't read it yet but I don't think it's out yet I think it's like back in Bloodhaven and uh yeah i don't know like, like show, he saves a puppy because of course yeah. he does um, it seems like oh, yeah there's another puppy that's right it's a three is it a three-legged puppy <laughs> i, I mean probably yeah. <laughs> nice um, guy dick grayson saved the um, dog and i'm like oh, so, i love him and it seems like every few years like it's like dc wants to kill off dick grayson and it's like why would you do that that's a horrible idea like that's one of the worst ideas you can have like it's up there with like killed. it's up there with like let's have it so like Peter Parker and Mary Jane Watson never really got married because they want. Uh, to I don't want to talk uh, about Brandy. Okay, no, yeah. no. Let's not. Let's not talk Dan Slott. <laughs> well, it's for let's another start. another podcast. When you guys okay. come, when you guest on Bat Shit with the Bat Bitch, my podcast, we can talk <laughs> about it. 
Excellent. I do think that for our patrons, we're going to do a run of like Batman material if you're up for it. So I'm I've just, always up to talk about I've, Batman. I've, as I've you just, can tell, it I've took no coaxing for me to just do I will gladly come on to talk about the Dark Knight porn parody that you can also watch as a special feature without porn. It's the best version of the killing joke I've ever seen. And that's not a joke. Excellent. Is- Holy okay. shit. What? Stop gifting me wonderful <laughs> things. I can't. <laughs> All I will say uh, is that okay, I got plans tonight uh, where the Joker does, you know, Commissioner Gordon's daughter in the butt and then he shoots her in the back later and says, ha, I guess she took two in the back. And it is the funniest thing I have ever seen. Oh my okay. God. Oh my God. I'm so upset. Awesome. I'm so upset. I'm <laughs> devastated. I'm ruined. I'm crushed. I'm shattered. That hurts. that hurts. Okay. I don't really know how I pitch my shit after that. Like, who's coming back from that? So, um, you may know me from other podcasts, such as the Psychoanalysis podcast over on the Consequence of Sound Network, which I am like. I really love what we're doing over there with Jen Ferratu and Laura Undersalls. Um, I absolutely like love doing the show with those two women. We are doing depression for January. That is our mental health topic of the month. Uh, so we just covered um, the Babadook and depression and it led to like a really good discussion on things like how depression is different from just being sad and also with a little bit of talk on like complicated grief as well. Um, as this show goes up, like we just dropped two episodes this week. We did two comfort horror episodes. Uh, Dan McCaffrey, I'm oh, sorry, Dan Caffrey joined us for Gremlins and Joe Lipset from the Horror Queers joined us to talk about the original Black Christmas. So those tend to be a little bit lighter and a little bit more fun. Although those two, like we got pretty deep into some shit. So um you can find me over there uh you can find me on the socials at mike underscore snoonian uh i have an idea for a third podcast that i am really excited to start formulating about kind of parenthood in horror um so i am putting it out there now to make it public so that i will hold myself accountable to someday releasing it in 2021 because it's something I've had an idea on for like two years now. Um, Other than that, if you like this show, follow us on Facebook at facebook.com slash group slash pod and the pendulum. It's a moderated group where um, you must be kind and civil to one another, even with when disagreeing Um, and everyone over there is, I mean, it's really good people over there. Uh, And also on Twitter at, uh, pod and pendulum where i tend to be a bit of an asshole sometimes to be quite honest uh, other than that folks i know at some point in this episode i have dropped a two-minute ad for our patreon um as of right now like you can hear uh Brittany talk about house and haunted hill Lindsay and i as of this release have dropped our krampus episode you get a bonus episode every month you get access to our slack um If we missed anything, we will have like odds and sods a few days after this episode posts for listeners as well. So we have three levels, two, five, and $10. Uh, And we are going to be adding like a bunch of cool stuff to it this year. 
all the money goes back into the show. Occasionally, yes, I buy a soda with it or something, but really all the money goes back into like allowing us to produce the show. And we appreciate your support and let's hope we can get a bunch more of you in 2021. Next episode will be episode 100 for us. And I honestly found myself getting a little emotional here thinking about that um, as we were kind of all talking about what we have. Like I, honest to God, thought when I started this episode, it would go maybe 20, maybe 30 episodes. But who the hell is going to want to tune in? Maybe like 100 people like a month will listen to it. Who's really going to want to listen to me? Um, This, doing this and doing the other show probably kept me sane this year um in a really hard really trying year this is coming out right in between christmas and new year 2020 has sucked for a lot of people uh for a lot of reasons but one thing that hasn't sucked is doing the show week in and week out um meeting people well not face to face but like making some incredible connections with listeners and persons that have been kind enough to give us their time to do this show and hear me spatter on about bullshit, like punching eighth graders that harass my fourth grade daughter, uh, which is still my They weren't favorite. even here for that. Now they know that too. Yeah, go on. Yeah, so, you know, um, but really like, you know, like, look, don't don't scare my kid more than once is all I'm saying. Um, as he like packs Pet cemetery in the bag for a 10 year old and say, you should read this. Um, but, you know, this has really meant a lot to me. I cannot wait to see where this show goes in 2021 because I am more excited for it now than I think that even when we first started it. And um, yeah, it's onward and upward. Have a great week. Have a happy new year. Have a safe new year. Wear a mask. Wash your hands. Socially distance. Get the vaccine when it's available to you. And uh, use your stimulus check to build a guillotine. So have a great one. Bye-bye.